Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome to a brand new series of Midweek Motorsport. It's series number 14, episode number one and uh, with apologies if you're listening live on Midday Motorsport, just a couple of minutes late but for those of you listening in at our regular time of 8 o'clock in the UK uh, then it is going out at the right time and there's a bit of an odd one here because uh, we are live now at just after fight last four here in Dubai and that's obviously the time that you're listening to us talking but if you listen to the repeat later on tonight or you're listening to the podcast you're going to get something different because our big interview tonight is so big and it's so special that we can't actually play it out now it's it involves two names that are very dear to my heart. That's all I can say. But even if you're listening live now, it's going to be worth coming back and listening again at the 8 o'clock or the 9 o'clock hour in the UK tonight, you see. Uh, we're just bending time here in Series 14, Episode 1. Uh, Nick Damon is alongside me. Happy New Year, Nick. Happy New Year, John. Or should I say Stephen Hawking? You've got a brief history of time, Daryl, there. Yes, uh, more difficult than I thought perhaps it yeah. would be. Uh, the, there are cars out on the track, as you can hear, at the Dubai Autodrome. Uh, I tell you what, let's get cracking into the show. We've already spent enough time. Uh, I'll go through some uh, emails and some uh, tweets in a moment. At Specutainment only, please. At Specutainment only. I'm watching that at the moment. Uh, we are rocking here at Dubai in a beautiful day. Lots of car noise out there as well on the free test for the 24 hours of Dubai. But let's have the top story. Here's the news jingle. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And as the news jingle fades gently into the background, uh, no Tim Gray tonight, so it's Kerry Cobb uh, in uh, London. So thank you, Kerry, for getting us uh, live. I have to say it was nothing to do with Kerry that we were a few minutes late here. That was a connectivity issue here at the track. Hello to Shea Adam, who is listening in rather earlier than uh, normal uh, in, uh, in Florida. Great. We're now live. And our first story is Formula One. And for that, we need our Formula One correspondent. Hooray! That's double reverb over there. I do reverb, you reverb me secondly. Do you like that? Super reverb. Hello. Yes, it's Formula One. Hurrah. I want to start with... Uh, there's a lot of Ferrari news. 
and I want to start about uh, Ferrari driver before what we level, get... What level of accent am I allowed to use? Uh, no, not for this bit, nothing at all. Okay, I may relent later. <laughs> uh, Nicky Lauda is back oh, in the yes, hospital. Yes, yes. Um, um, for those who aren't aware, Nicky Lauda had a double lung transplant back in... Oh, September, was it, John? Could be. Um, as a result, or as an ongoing result from the fire crash no, in 1976. No, apparently not, though. Appar- no, I read it was, not, it was, it was, it was all it still is, from the lung being burnt in 1976. No, a- apparently that wasn't the case. Oh, a misreporting. That's rare, isn't it? Yes. So I, I read case, something then, from his... Uh, um, he needed a lung transplant. Um, nothing to do with the fumes and the, the heat that he br- breathed in, said his um, consultant right. uh, at the time. So lung man. He just randomly needs one now after being involved in a terrible conflagration and burning his lungs. For, but fine. Anyway, he's had a double lung transplant, which, is, as we know, is a very tricky operation on a number of levels. Of course, one of the key things you have to do is turn down the immune system to prevent the uh, new organs being rejected. Good point. And he has suffered... He has unfortunately caught flu, yes. which would be unpleasant anyway of a man in his 70s. But when, after his operation, uh, it is obviously significantly more serious. And he has gone back into hospital. But no, no reports it's any any worse than that. But obviously, wish Nicky a full recovery. It was quite unfortunate. He was just getting literally back on his feet again after the the operation. He was, he was going to walk again. It's a major thing to happen to anybody. And he was hoping to be in the pit lane for Australia. It may have to be revised. But uh, if anything, Mr. Loud is a bit of a fighter, John. Um, we. I'm just going to check something out here and say, Joe Bradley. Good afternoon. Can you hear us down in the pit lane? Right, you're and very, very quiet. And I can hear myself from my ears. There so we are. That's, that's more like it. Good afternoon, everybody. Nicky Lauda. Yes, my hero. Yes, that's why I wanted to bring you in at this point. Yes, I remember Nicky Lauda when he went to Ferrari in 74 when I was a child, a mere child, and he turned that team around. And before that, he'd also done really special things at PRM, hadn't he? After buying his way into a march in 72... Uh, he went to BRM in 73, uh, turned them around, almost, in fact, they led races that BRM with Killer Egazzoni and Nicky Lauda, but Nicky Lauda went to Ferrari in a, in a double driver swap with BRM, Marlborough BRM, both Regazzoni and Nicky Lauda went to Ferrari in 74 for the brand new 312T and turned that team around and Nicky Lauda quickly established himself as the number one. Uh, Bruce Jones is our other voice down in the pit lane. Nick Dimon will be there for the uh, the running this weekend. Good afternoon to you, Bruce. Good afternoon, John. I was uh, nodding to everything Joe was saying there. That was the time being of a similar vintage where we really, really got into it. I can still picture the shape of all the cars from the 1970s, and Joe was absolutely spot on. Nicky Lauda said, no more, no more after-lunch naps for the Ferrari team. You've got to work. Well, then he went on to win the World Championship in 75, and then in 76... In, in the UK, everyone became interested in Formula One with James Hunt. And I was kind of a little bit torn because all of a sudden, all my mates at school were now interested in Formula One. It was like, where were you three years ago when nobody was interested? And like, I'm a Nicky Lauda fan. And it was like, oh, why are you a Nicky Lauda fan when James Hunt's, you know, he's, he's main rival? It was because they didn't know anything. Didn't know anything better. Yeah, it's always good knowing a little more than the next <laughs> Got to choose your audience carefully, obviously. I was probably the only one in my, certainly in my class, in my own year, um, who was heavily into motorsport rather than football. 
Yeah, know the feeling. Exactly the same. In fact, this is why we love events like this, Joe, is it not? Hindhoff the diversity. Year, well, Hindhoff was the year above me. Um, you can keep pedalling that as long as you like, Joe, but the fact that everybody knows that you had, were had born... They know that you were born on the day that the 1962 Le Mans ah, 24 hours... Yes. You've rather was. blown that one, yes, haven't you? I was, yes. Took place. Gentlemen, stand by for the moment. We'll come back to you because we'll be having uh, uh, some news from the pit lane and, and we'll, we'll, grab some, uh, we'll grab some interviews as well from down there as we preview this weekend's action in the opening uh, endurance action of the year from the 24 hours of the Hancock 24 hours of Dubai here at Dubai Autodrome. Well, the good news is our pit mics uh, are... Yeah, it is good news. That's working. Thank you, Ulf and the Nulls Weisfei 1 TV team for getting us underway. Uh, it's Midweek Motorsport Series 14, Episode 1, and it's Nick and John in our booth, which overlooks the start-finish line. I'd forgotten quite how noisy it is here. It, it comes back up off, off this grandstand, which then pummels the noise back down to you again. It is a, uh, an echo, and also... There's a cut. I think it's the Lamborghinis. It may be one of the other, the Audis. They've got a very harsh metallic edge when they're at full revs, which really pings, pings off the top of the grandstand. At least when the Mercedes go by, they're nice and deep and throaty. Mm, indeed so. Um, let's stay with Ferrari. Yes. Arrivederci, arrivederci. Hey! I think I put too many syllables in there. Arrivederci, arrivederci. I appear to have been a sactor. <laughs> And exactly as predicted when I saw this news earlier this week, Nick was indeed doing a bad Italian accent and waving his hands oh, around. Please. I can't do I can't do look, 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 I'm not going to move my hand. Yeah. I don't, no, I can't do it. I can't you do can't do the, the accent without the hands. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yes. Yeah, so I, I started when I saw the... Uh, uh, by the way, I'm indebted to Martin Brundle for um, reminding everybody about the Nicky Lauder story. Keep Nicky in your thoughts won't you everybody whatever your belief system is just think nice thoughts about uh, about Nicky Lauda um, when I saw the story um, breaking about Arriva Berni Arriva Berni um, I just I, I said and so it begins is is this the kind of is this the kind of response that that is rather Ferrari-esque of old well is this the start of the night of the long night <sighs> It's a really interesting question, John, because it's one of the most... If any of you have, have managed to read the, uh, the various pieces of, uh, of uh, journalism, uh, once the, uh, the F1 press pack got wind that he was going to be fired about 12 hours before it was officially announced, well, it was pretty obvious he was the worst manager ever and he was a, a terrible person, terrible human being. He was awful to work with. He was bad with the press. He was bad with the team. He was a bully. He was awful. Why didn't we hear that before? No he, one. Because everybody was saying how good he'd done and how I think he'd really pulled he it was, around. I think the worst I heard was a bit autocratic. But mm. it's like, because they, because they can't dare criticise Ferrari uh, because it's their job and they would lose, they feel they'd lose their rights. It just goes to this, 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 you know, inside the bubble isn't always the best place to be. And, 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 sometimes, and when the bubble bursts, you can make yourself look very stupid by having a, a pre-prepared, for want of a better term, bitch session, uh, which has been going on. Um, I'm not saying Aravani. I'm not saying Aravani didn't deserve it. It does sound like he's, he's he's not the sort of man to lead a team of 2018, 2019. Mm. But if this was all going on, why were people not talking about it before? Why were they? You know, we all knew that the Ferrari under Aravani had decided to eschew um, being friends with the press. I mean, most of that is to do with the. Um, sort of the rabid Italian papers where of course there are two daily sports papers that have to write mm. at least two pages about the Ferrari F1 team 
every day. Um, so, you know, in the off-season, ha- all they can do is make stuff up because there isn't enough real news to happen. There is this narrative that has been put forward since about halfway through last season. And we talked about it briefly in the Formula One review programme, you and I, mm. which uh, we did on New Year's Day, um, which was the start of, of, of my bad cold. I was just getting a bit croaky at that <laughs> point. Um, and the... The narrative is that the team was in disarray. There was infighting going on, and uh, and this was, and this was coming out of uh, a suggestion that the reason that Vettel wasn't concentrating on his driving was because he was too busy trying to run the team. Run the team as well. Yeah. Um, so does this? I mean, this fits with that narrative. What we don't know, of course, if is whether that is anywhere near. Um, the truth or whether it is bending the facts to fit the narrative because yeah, that, well, that is something that I happens rather too what, much in what journalism was now was mentioned um, and I think this is and I'm going to say the F1 press pack mentioned this openly during the time it happened was prior to um, Sergio Marchioni's very unfortunate demise um, there were rumours that they were looking to do a management reshuffle. It wasn't mm. imminent, but probably at the end of the season, and they were looking to. And it wasn't really kind of define what was going to happen. But obviously, at that point, half of the season, Ferrari were leading the championship. So, you know, it, it's it's moot whether Arif Benny was definitely going to get the the elbow or not. But certainly, they were looking at rearranging it. Now they have a man called uh, Mattia Binotto who's come up through their engine department and has been a bit of a star. Um, who was being heavily um, approached and attempted to be poached by the other teams because he and, and Arif Benny didn't get on. That's pretty much agreed. But people not getting on within F1 teams is not un- un- unheard of, considering there's often there's 500 people, you're not getting on with everybody. Um, so the decision to, to remove Arif Benny, I think, is because he's, he's, he's effectively just been too aggressive with everybody, fallen out with too many people. And it's fine if you're going to be a disciplinarian who gets results when the results aren't there you kind of end up being the, and, and I'll just finish the no. thing is we've also now seen everyone say how Benotto is the, the man they should have had all along he's fantastic he's the greatest man ever he will be the most he, he's got a different style different style friendly coerced. Yes, he, oh, there's nothing wrong with him he should always have had the job does this not strike you as when a team sacks their manager a soccer so they, team, so they yeah, sack, a football team. They sack Brian Smith, who's lost three games in a row. He's terrible, he's awful, he's appalling. And the fans welcome Trevor Jones in instead. Sorry, Bruce. Trevor um, Brown on instead. Oh, yeah, he's fantastic. Well, it was Trevor Brown or Trevor Jones, because frankly, I think Brown's the better man for the job. Yeah, so do I. Okay. And, and, but of course, that disappears after four bad results as well. Um, just because, it, you know, and, and I do feel there's some glee um, because of his, Aravet Benny's um, poor relationship with the press. And the eye they're thinking, well, it's great. We'll get more interviews and we'll get more pages of copy and everything else. But there's absolutely nothing to suggest that Bonotto is going to do any better or worse let's than Arab Benny. Because the, the team, I think, has more fundamental issues. Well, let's go down to Bruce Jones in the pit lane. Bruce, Who's not taking the job. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bruce, how much... I mean, you'll have seen this before. As, and I'll get Bradley's take on this as well at the moment. You'll have seen this kind of thing before. Had Ferrari won the championship with... Uh, with Vettel this year, we wouldn't be having this conversation now, but it, it seems always there has to be a scapegoat at Ferrari, and you've seen this in, in times past, haven't you? Time immemorial. I mean, you, don't, you look back to the days when uh, John Surtees was battling with the management back in uh, the early 60s. He was the one tried to turn the team around. It was more political back then. It's more corporate now, but again, that whole element, it's, it's uh, top-level sport, unfortunately, needs scapegoats. 
None of us like it. And my Uncle Trevor hated it in that job that Nick just talked about. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I think Arriva Benny was trying to change the culture at Ferrari and he was, you know, very much liked. Sorry, Marcioni. Sorry, Arriva Benny was uh, <laughs> trying to do it in a slightly different way. But uh, Nick's right. They were talking midway through last year about changes coming and the clincher was when you know things were not happening for Vettel and Vettel was starting to make the sort of mistakes he doesn't normally make and then it was clearly over and out but it's quite strange to it looked as though it was going to be all the same for next year but they've struck at the right time they've got time before the season to do the change I don't necessarily agree with Nick that nobody knew that uh, Arriva Benny was uh, quite a difficult soul to put it mildly I mean, effectively, he had, uh, apart from the Italian uh, press, he had uh, radio silence to an awful lot of the international journalists, people who've been there for sort of 30-odd right. years who should know their way around a team, should be trusted. But uh, it's still knee-jerk. It's still finding a scapegoat. And it won't be the last time that Ferrari does that to a team boss. Uh, uh, there is always a danger, isn't there? And I'll put this to, to Bruce and to Nick, both of whom have worked for many, many years in a Formula One pit lane as live reporters. Um, almost better than dead ones. Well, I was uh, terrible as a dead reporter. Yes. I was useless. Uh, Hard to tell at times. Yeah. <laughs> um, there is a danger, though, when we listen to the Formula One press, as I suppose people might say about us in the endurance paddock, is it, it can be, Bruce, a little bit of a, a reflecting, almost like a glass bubble. It, it is that horrible mirrored in, interior of the Formula One paddock. And... and, and things that seem very important to people inside might not perhaps to people outside. So we've got to be a little bit careful when we're, when we're judging um, Maurizio, haven't we? Uh, yes, but one of the things that's most valuable to the Formula One journalists is their Formula One pass. Mm. And Nick is absolutely right in that. And a few brave ones keep their head, you know, just about level with the parapet, but very few stick it over the top. Um, perhaps you can do it when you've decided you've hit the sweet spot, you're in your final season before retirement you can stick at it it shouldn't be like that but it is and um, often in fact it's not the team chiefs who are the problem it's when you get a brand new PR officer mm. who decides they're not an officer they are a gatekeeper mm. and I'll just tell you Very many good. many moons ago uh, when Nick and I were working the Formula 1 pit lane I wanted to go and speak to Ross Braun and he was at Ferrari at the time and he was always fantastic always would produce a story of some sort if he didn't want to tell you the story answer the question you asked he'd give you something else as a little bit of a, a tidbit for you and uh, they had a new press officer that particular year. And he said, where are you going? Why are you trying to speak to Ross? I said, because I've, I speak to Ross at every race. And he, he goes, you, not anymore. That was the, with the old guard. But I found a way around it. I had a pass to the pit wall and the uh, team PR man did not. So I used to wave to him from the pit wall as I was interviewing Ross Braun. That's how you had to do it. <laughs> Interestingly, David Coulthard's been fairly scathing, actually, about the current Ferrari PR and hopes that they get replaced as well on Twitter. I did, I did notice that. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. That was Bruce Jones down in the pit lane. And uh, good to have his company uh, this weekend here at Dubai. We're live from the Dubai Autodrome, getting ready for the Hankook 24 Hours of Dubai. We'll stay on Formula One news uh, in this live version of the programme uh, this afternoon. Remember, if you're listening on the repeat at 8 o'clock or on the podcast, we have a very special big interview with a world exclusive coming up later on uh, in the show. Uh, if you're listening live, well, you have to listen again, quite, yeah. quite, quite frankly. Uh, staying in for Formula One and uh, a couple of tri drivers that have gone off to play elsewhere, uh, which means that Pascal Verlein 
the the or uh, one of the flying ver lines, uh, obviously, uh, the, uh, the double somersault with uh, a pike, as yes. I remember him a few years ago, exactly. has has traded in his three pointed star for a prancing horse. He becomes development driver. Interesting move. Um, only because he's driven for Mercedes and he's gone across to Ferrari. Of course, his, his day job now is Mahindra in Formula E, and he will make his debut in the uh, the next round of the championship because he couldn't take part in the first round because it was it was before the end of the year and he was still contracted for the whole of 2018 with Mercedes. So um, he had to uh, sit out the race in Saudi Arabia, just over the, uh, just, just over the road, several hundred miles in that direction. Um, Can drive it though. Yeah, okay. yeah, and uh, and and the Saudi uh, young men do drive it for Friday evening, which yes, do. tends to worry a lot of the people who are driving locally. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, Verland is a kind of strange fish. He's he he's seen as the next great thing. He's, he 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 had a season, of course, with uh, was it Sauber, and, and that, when they were rubbish, and um, he um, yeah he didn't. Then he had the, the race of champions accident, and then he kind of missed a couple of races, and Giovinazzi um, subbed for him, and it was a, and then he got dropped and he couldn't find his way back in and he got kind of usurped by Esteban Ocon as, as, as chief uh, you know, next in line in the Mercedes throne and also now by George Russell so hence mm. the reason he was dropped out of the Young Driver programme he's, he's gone to find his own way how quick he really is it's, it's pretty hard to say you know, there's a lot of drivers who are, who are pretty quick and it's in how they, they grab their chances when they can how luck falls and I feel with Verline, he, you know, he his F1 was with a relatively poor team he did seem to have some issues they did seem to be some mutterings that he wasn't the easiest person to work with and possibly a little bit big for his boots. He got on fine with Maurizio Averiva. They were firm friends. Fabulous friends. Um, but, you know, people grow up and a lot of these guys are hitting, are hitting F1 very young with a limited amount of real-life experience. And so you, you can expect some sort of um, flaws in their character sometimes which need to get ironed out during the time. Hello to James Counter, who asked if we can have the special exclusive put up on its own podcast. Uh, maybe. I'll say to that. Uh, and in to Dominic, uh, Midnight Motorsport, he said, uh, he says for him, uh, tuning in, Right Turn Lover is missing it uh, here, but we'll be listening to the podcast in its normal slot on RS1 tonight. You mentioned Formula E there, Nick, and in a beautiful piece of symmetry, <laughs> my next story that I've scribbled on this list here is, mm-hmm. obviously we've gone back to Green Flag and the, uh, the test that's going on at the moment for the Hancock 24-hour uh, runners, mm-hmm. um, Formula E testing at uh, Marrakesh. Yes, this is the Marrakesh Express this Marrakech, weekend. It's the second race of the season um, with people already, um, uh, Lucas Degrassi no less, expressing uh, doubts that this new car that can run straight through that pit stop is going to help things and thinks actually it's taken away an element of um, randomness that the uh, car swaps slash pit, train, pit stops effectively it's a bit of strategy out. Yeah, well, it's, it's certainly because obviously you had two sets of batteries to balance. I mean, it is, you can't really have a car swap. It doesn't mean you can't have a pit stop, obviously, and perhaps some grippier tyres might help in some ways. Um, we have another a collective test. Now, those of you who know the sport well will know the collective test after uh, the Saudi Arabian round was full of lady drivers. It was um, celebrating the fact that ladies had been allowed to drive in Saudi Arabia for exactly. the first time. Exactly. So a lot, we had a lot of, um, of, the, of the, the top female drivers there, and some of the, of the young ones. Um, Khalid Al Kabazi's daughter was there, for example. So there's a really good spread they had of, of the, the female driving fraternity. And now we're kind of back to um, so kind of well-known names, effectively. Um, I've gone to a, a well-known uh, website, and that has told me in their Formula E section that it, I will start off with. Uh, 
Calderon, so it's one of the a lady driver there. Tatiana Calderon and James Rossiter will be joining Tachita. Uh, Fittipaldi and Titnell join Jaguar. Marcello is going to do it um, for the other teams. And we've got uh, BMW, got uh, Vitman and Benoit Trollier and Nick DeVries are driving for um, Virgin. So they've all got a so couple of... Sorotkin out there as well? So, I can't remember what team he's going for, but Sorotkin's going to be out there as well. Oh, yes, it's Mahindra. So he's actually running for the team which, got, which is running with Verline. So there is a... a Oh, and Jamie Green's there as well. See, it, literally, there's a list of people who are, who are running who are pretty well-known names, really. Sheffield, Leicester's Jamie Green. Leicester's Jamie Green yeah. is uh, getting a run out with uh, um, the uh, Audi team, obviously. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing to, to, to get some, some mileage. But I mean, there's no shortage of drivers to drive in Formula E. It's got one of those really weird things, you know. It's got a paycheck. And when you actually race for a Formula E It's probably one of the team, best places to go and earn money at the moment. Yeah, yeah it's, got the, it's got the zeitgeist. There's a lot of money coming in. Who knows where from? Um, and they, 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 they are paying their 20 drivers. Well, I'm hearing now it is the manufacturers who are starting to pay the drivers rather than the series as it was before. Actually, I missed out a, a, a Formula One story oh, uh, there. And I even put a big arrow to remind me to do it before it, it Formula E. But, but um, I, I even missed that. Um, <laughs> uh, who's going to get party mode in Formula well, One next year? Everyone at Suzuka when they go around the log cabins. Uh, no, it is, it. It, is, it is part of this other... You know, much as I, I was criticised, I think Bruce slightly misheard me earlier. I didn't say that uh, nobody knew that Arav Ebeni was a bit of a, uh, a headmaster and a strict authoritarian. Just it wasn't really reported because, you know, because Bruce did say very correctly, everyone's frightened about losing their pass or losing access. Mm. Um, well, once again, the, the, the masters of the, the um, less favourable comment to certain people, Red Bull, Helmut Marco and et al have now started doing the let's big up Honda prior to the, uh, the start of the next season when of course Red Bull uh, take over Honda engines from Renault and they're kind of literally trying to manipulate the uh, press so every day we have a new Red Bull Honda story Honda have got 10 more horsepower well, they're just say kilowatts we've got if we had 30 horsepower more we'd have won the world Championship. it's all this up at the engine and they keep going all oh, the engines great and now we're going to get party mode so they're basically going to get an extra mode in qualifying everything's going to be fine um, they're kind of overlooking the fact that Renault keeps saying, well, they didn't have more power than us. And the undeniable fact is, Toro Rosso scored less points. Fewer. Last, fewer points last year than How many times have I got to correct you on Because I'm, from, I'm from, from Kent, that's what we say. And um, McLaren scored more points, despite everything. You know, so those engine swaps actually did what they did. And, and so Honda have got a lot more to prove. And all this positive spin from uh, Red Bull. Let me ask you something, John. What do you think they'd be saying if it's gone horribly wrong after a year? The Honda engines were rubbish. And it's all the Honda engines' fault because they've got the best chassis of all. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yes. Um, we're we're mm. here at Dubai for the Hankook 24 Hours, kicking off the FIA Endu- uh, Endurance Series for 2019. I have to keep remembering that. Bruce yeah. Jones is part of our pitlane team. He's down in the pitlane. We do have a... a a free practice session on at the, the moment so we'll try and bring you a few bits and pieces but we haven't got timing for that up here in the booth just at the moment Bruce um, some problems early on for one or two of the what 77 78 car field yeah before when Joe and I had a pit walk earlier we uh, saw our good friends the Mutran brothers back with us overall champions in 2016 and they, they came out with the wise words well we've got 78 cars or so on the entry list maybe not all of them will get to start the race and when you get a free practice session as we have now you know, it's a private practice session. It's not the time to be throwing the car off. And the driver with the longest face at the moment is Adrian Amstutz. I was looking down the entry list. I thought all oh, those two attempting racing Audi, Audis could go well. I favour the 99 sister car, but unfortunately a little bit of bodywork damage on the 66 car. And Adrian, who normally drives a, 
a Lamborghini for Barwell Motorsport has got it wrong and all he could say to his teammates was not a lot, shrug his shoulders, they'll get it fixed. But these things, they just don't help anybody, do they? So that's accident damage, that, is it? It's just accident damage down the right flank. I can't see... The door's a little bit crumpled and the front wing's oh a little bit bent, but it looks as though the suspension is sort of OK. But they'll have to spend time checking it out. And with a five-driver lineup in that car, they want to get out on the circuit. Thanks, Bruce. Uh, more from Bruce and Joe uh, as we bump in, as they wander down the pit lane and bump into various people. We'll take another story here on Series 14, Episode 1. It's midweek motorsport, which has become midday motorsport if you're in the UK. Midnight at various other places as well. But the alliterative content continues uh, from the Hancock 24 Hours of Dubai. And don't forget, we've got uh, full audio coverage of the sessions tomorrow and then from the... Uh, official practice and qualifying sessions we've got audio and video together sound and vision in perfect harmony uh, from uh, later on on uh, Thursday right through Friday and Saturday remember we kick off the race on Friday here and it runs till the middle of Saturday afternoon local time here in the UAE uh, so party laps for Honda Formula E testing drivers uh, let's uh, head to the Antipodes where there's been a bit of a shock in uh, Virgin Supercars. Yes. The V8s. Not something, I'll be honest. I, I actually cover that much, but even not covering it that much, I actually heard of both the drivers involved in this. Uh, this is Garth Tander without a drive. I know, and he'd be replaced by the man who um, uh, everyone thought had a pretty rotten season though you did point out he was in a very 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 old car I think it was the oldest car on the quite grid a bit rusty yeah. probably built in uh, Abingdon or something um, and that is uh, Richard Stanaway the New Zealand driver who obviously had been quite successful well very successful with uh, Aston Martin WEC uh, he has now um, yes taken over a supercar drive within the uh, the main event again by, by displacing the, 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 the legend or at least the well known driver that is Garth Tander so a bit of a surprise so that is uh dumped out of uh, Gary Rogers Motorsport uh, of the supercars super and Richie Stanaway have been brought in um, there is some thought that Boost Mobile a telephone company um, is focusing more on youth youth youth, and that's why perhaps um, Stanaway has gone, uh, gone there uh, he's partnered of course with James Golding who is only 22 as well, it was an awful season, as Nick rightly said, for Stanaway at Tickford. Gary Rogers saying the decision to retire effectively, the 41 year old from full time racing, was not an easy one, but it was essential. Many aspects to my discussion, uh, including that Garth was nearing the end of his career and had expressed that 2019 might be his final full time season as a driver. It's weighed heavily, heavily on me in a perfect world. I would love to have given Garth the send off that he deserves, but I never lost, lost that uh, sight that motorsport, although centred around the drivers, about the team. Uh, Tander has said he's processing the decision. Uh, I'm grateful for the start that Gary gave me in supercars. understand his decision to end my full-time driving career. Uh, mm, interesting. Interesting. That Shea Adam will be processing that. She's catching up on the whole uh, season. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport, Series 14, Episode 1, at Specutainment Place. Uh, thank you for joining us at the slightly earlier time if you're on the live, but we are replaying this with additional content. 8 o'clock UK tonight uh, to bring you a world exclusive. And, of course, we'll be previewing the action here 
at the Hancock 24 Hours of Dubai as well. Johnny Palmer is with us along with Paul Truswell to make up the team. You've already heard from Bruce Jones and from Joe Bradley and that's the team for the weekend. Shall we talk Go on. Uh, Indy 500? Oh yes, Nick. like the Indy 500. Zach Brown's going to be at the Indy 500. Is he? Oh yes he is, because he's going to be running, well I suppose he'll choose to go there rather than Monaco with, uh, with Fernando. Not that Zach Brown. Zach Pardon? Brown's going to be there with his band. Well, this sounds like Eddie Jordan. Sounds awful. No, <laughs> you mean you've never heard of the Zach Brown band? Grammy winning Zach. I Zach. can, hand on heart. I've, are they country? <laughs> no, not at all. No, because I mean, when we turned up in, in well, uh, sort when of. I turned up in country Atlanta rock. and you've got you driven across America, you turned in some country. Look, I say country bumpkin. I don't mean that. I've been a country country of file, haven't you? I have. I, all that, you listening to was it. To, to rock and country with those same and the world that country station you were listening to had the world's tightest rotation. There were like five songs on it. That was the highway. I mean, literally, I was in the car. He got four times in that portion. I heard the same three songs every single time. Catchy though, aren't they? I know it's a very comfortable car as well. Um, but yes, it's so Zach Brown will be there with his band playing. Um, Zach Brown will be there as well because McLaren. he's playing. <laughs> yeah, yes, so there'll be t- there'll be a surfeit of Zach Browns. Uh, he's surfing as well, is he? Yes, surfeit <laughs> of Zach Browns. Uh, a bit more of Zach Brown news when we get <laughs> uh, we get to United Autosport and IMSA coming in a little while. But let's go down to Joe Bradley, who's in the pit lane here at the Dubai Autodrome, just to uh, remind everybody back in Europe why we're here at the moment, Joe. Hello, Mr. Bradley. Hello, Joseph. Can you hear me? Oh, yes, I can. Oh, that's nice. You're on the camera mic now. Go on. Would you like... ...of the season? Yes, I would. It's 32 degrees. <laughs> on the track. On the track. That's track temp. So ambient's about 22 to 25. Oh, well, it's a bit warmer than that. It's 27, yeah, it's I thought. Cool. Yeah, it's a bit cooler. There's a breeze now, um, which is... Uh, Head on down the main street, so that'll not be affecting the cars too much because it's not that strong, really. And everybody, pretty much everybody who's entered for this weekend's 24 hours, is taking uh, taking the opportunity to run the cars in what is official. It's an unofficial test today. We don't go to even official free practice till tomorrow, which is uh, d- tomorrow, and followed by qualifying. So this is unofficial. It's not obligatory, but everybody, and it's understandable, really. Four drivers. Uh, pretty much in every car. The only car that I've seen that is running three drivers this weekend is the Scuderia Praha car, which is running its three usual drivers. So they're going to be really, really pushing the fitness level. Thanks, Joe. Uh, Nick Damon, how many cars have we actually had out in this session? According to the timing tracker, it's 61. Right. Uh, and who's got the best time? And we think we have 76. Currently, it is the 35 car, which is the KCMG uh, Nissan GTR. Oh, really? Don't know who, I don't know who put that time up because it, it's Sugio Matsuda in the car at the moment. It doesn't necessarily mean it's his time that's uh, at the top of the time sheet, which is a 159.5, I then think. Then it's WR... 159.9, sorry. Then it's WRT with Dries Vanto behind the wheel. Then it is... Oh, the second of the KCMG cars with birthday boy Ollie Jarvis, who's made the same trip as I did. He was at the Raw at Daytona. Uh, and well, i tell you what, then, why is... I've now mentioned that. Let's jump to IMSA because Ollie Jarvis mm. is doing it. He's got as busy a January and February as I have because he's going back to the Rolex 24 mm. and then heading to Bathurst as well. And exceptional 
uh, exceptional pace shown by Ollie and the Master Team Yost uh, prototype team, the DPIs, breaking a record that was set in 1993. All right, it wasn't an official session, so but bettering a record that has stood since 1993, the fastest lap ever round the Daytona track, uh, the road circuit by PJ Jones in uh, Dan Gurney's All-American Races Eagle from 1993. I, I don't know how much you saw or heard about the the IMSA weekend, but it was a fantastic event at the at the Raw. Yeah, but everyone, I mean, obviously Twitter and everything else, everyone seemed to have a lovely time, to be honest. You know, um, our, our good friend Paul Marcart went down and uh, wandered around, took some pictures, and I know you, you and the gang, and you've got your new, your new friends, or your old friends we visited with Jamie and Brian joining the team. Yeah, if you missed that, that's uh, Brian Till and Jamie Howe rejoining, uh, in Jamie's case, Brian joining us. Uh, throughout the season on uh, IMSA Radio over an I mean, RS2. Obviously, I talked to Jamie, well, she knew in that one event we did together in 2008. That, that's really... <laughs> I think she might have already developed her style by then, Nick. And I tried to ruin it. she listened to precisely nothing that you told her and took none of, none of your style into her well, very successful broadcasting career. Where did, she, where did it all go where wrong? Where did it all go wrong? <laughs> they grew up so quick. Um, one of the things that, uh, that I noticed there was just how that event, which is effectively a test weekend, mm. uh, although there was one race there, there was a three-hour prototype there's race. A, there's a pit lane qualifier. And there was a pit lane qualifier as well. But effectively, it's, but it's, it's begun to take on a character and an atmosphere of an event mm. in, in, on its own terms. It's much more relaxed, obviously, than race weekend. Everybody is in a less fraught state. And it reminds me very much, and I haven't been for a few years, of Le Mans Test, because Le Mans Test is a bit more wound back uh, a little bit, but a great opportunity for spectators. And if you get the opportunity, I, mean, I think it was $15 a day or $50 for a four-day pass. So it was not a lot of money to go there. If you have a ticket for the Rolex 24, it was free. Oh, you well. could use your ticket to get in. Same as the old days at Le Mans as well. Nice stuff for the locals. Yeah, very good. Very good indeed. Uh, the other big story that, was, that came out of that was how many teams might be using special liveries. Last year was the year of special liveries, particularly for Porsche, wasn't is this it? Be, is this because of the 50th anniversary of IMSA, is it? Or just, just randomly? Uh, I, I think the 50th anniversary of IMSA... Um, is, is playing a part on some of the thinking there. But Ford, Acura, the Riley we've now seen because they've got in a very throwback Wins Oil livery, the multicoloured purple. Yeah. Have they actually got this, that sponsorship from Wins or just the livery they've taken? And Bruce has a link to something that's going on. I've talked about retro liveries there that we'll see at the end of the month, but we don't have to wait for them, particularly if you are a fan of a brand from Hethel. Yeah, if I wander down to Garage 7B, I will find a pair of Lotuses. In fact, they're in 7A, the sneaky thing. 7B, one is painted in the red, white and gold, 1968 uh, livery for the Lotus team, and the other one is the previous livery of green and yellow on a pair of Lotuses. So well done, gentlemen. They look absolutely fantastic. I always wanted a Lotus to land sprint in that red, gold, white uh, livery until I tried to get in one. Too tall. Couldn't Mm. have it. Couldn't afford it, so that was easy. That actually, that livery inspired the colour scheme for, uh, inspired the colour scheme for a couple of rooms that I've uh, had painted. Oh, of course, your Wellingborough the, house, yeah. My Wellingborough house. If you remember that, it worked, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, the most useful things I remember your Wellingborough house is the, the vast amount of profiteroles that are always there. But apart from that, you know, it's all well, not a, when you've been. It's all a haze. <laughs> it's all a profiteroles haze. Um, 
So, you, so just go back to the Raw again, because you, yes. you had a race in, you had a race for the LMP3s. How, Correct. How is that taking off in the States now? 19 so, cars in, in that, uh, which looked to be full season entries, with a couple of other people here possibly joining in before the end of the season. That is undoubtedly a success. Is it a sing single class this year, isn't it? It is a single class this year. Most of the race is an hour and 45 minutes. That start the Scouts of America race uh, was the three-hour race to start the season. Uh, full, full coverage live uh, everywhere in the world, including the States, on IMSA TV with the trackside commentary, Brian and Jeremy doing that for the season. Uh, and then a highlight show also using that live commentary on NBC Sports. Okay. With uh, Lee Diffie and Calvin, uh, Calvin Fish doing the intro and the outro mm -hmm. and then using the live commentary that well, we did. 45 minutes, I mean. uh, No, I think it's an hour. Okay. Uh, it might be two hours for the first one, but then an hour for the rest of it. And I, from memory, and I'd have to go back and look, but I think it's January the 15th that that airs in the States, 5 o'clock Eastern uh, on NBCSN. And cool. all of the developmental series now confirmed as having their own highlights or TV package, at least, uh, in retrospect on, on NBCSN. And that's a, that's a huge step forward for, for all of those. But the answer to your question is, yes, it's taking off. Yes, it's proving successful. And yes, it's giving the opportunity for gentlemen drivers to learn about downforce cars and also allow some young and not so young pro drivers to earn a bit of cash. So, Kerching and not to like? Yes. Is it Liege dominated like in Europe? Uh, I think there were five Normas, and the rest were Liege years um, at the weekend. Um, not such a good story as far as LMP2 is concerned. That could well be mm. down to maybe one or two cars. But is that not? Because, I don't want to. I sure I can do this. Cause I'm not doing any of the IMSA race this event, so I, I'm not sucking up. Is that not just because they've got, they've got DPI so right? Yes, but as soon as... and, and it, I, I was going to say the law of unintended consequences has struck, but I, it's not as if nobody knew that this would happen. Sorry, too many negatives in that. It's not as if it could not have been predicted that this, this would, would happen. When the manufacturers last... Let, let's not forget, an LMP2 car very nearly won the championship last year. An LMP2 car coming from a tiny little team with a proper AM driver in it in the shape of John Bennett, and that's no disrespect to John at all, but he is not a pro driver. They worked the rules, they worked the strategy, and they executed extremely well. And going into Motul Petit Le Mans, they could, perhaps should have won the championship. With Colin Brown had been the star man there last year. The manufacturers, some might say not unreasonably, were saying, look, we love the competition, but when we're committing large, large amounts of money in marketing support to a championship, it's very difficult for us as Cadillac or Mazda or Acura or Nissan or whoever might come in the future, and more of that in a moment, um, to justify and try and have to explain what a Ligier or a Norma is. Mm -hmm when they're beating us, and that, that's not a great press release. And I kind of understand that. I have to say that I enjoyed the variety. One of the things I love about endurance racing is the variety. Um, the DPIs are far more sophisticated suspension-wise. They, they, they have 
uh, a lot more freedom in, in how they can work the suspension. They have different aero, they have different engine regs, so it's much more free. Whereas across the P2s have all got the same chassis, all got the same suspension, all got the same Gibson engines, all got the same gearboxes, and there are, sorry, there are four chassis manufacturers, but effectively everything else is stuck around that, and they only have one set of bodywork in the States. So, to me, it was always going to happen that it would become less attractive to teams based outside the US in particular to go and race in the States when they didn't have a chance of winning overall. Now, I am surprised there aren't more at Daytona and therefore at the Raw, because that was a mandatory test for the Daytona uh, 24 teams. I am surprised because in a small class, that gives you a heck of a good chance of winning a very nice one. <laughs> Yeah, And there, there are only going to be four cars at Daytona in that class. By the time we get to Sebring, that could be down to one. That could be down to one, because there's already one of the teams talking about going to the European Le Mans series. Johnny, stick that headset on. Stick that headset on, JP, if you don't mind. Um, and fire, fire that up for me, will you? Which, uh, I think it's this one that says mute over here. That one there. Talk to me, JP. No, no, just hit it and leave it. Let's have a go. It's one of these two. Let's see if I can fade you up over Might here. Might be that one. Oh, ah, that is that there one. There you go. The one that says on air. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Should have tried that first you, of all. You broadcasting pros. I know. Um, just talking about uh, uh, P2s and, and in, in IMSA, and it strikes me that you're seeing, um, you have been seeing in the European Le Mans series, one of the reasons why it's so difficult to attract the European teams over to America is because LMP2 is very competitive and very well supported in the ELMS at the paddock. It's been a, a kind of keystone year in the ELMS for, for LMP2s and I think it's going to be just as strong going into this year as well, but um, we regularly had 15 LMP2s and uh, of good quality as well um, aided by the fact that World Endurance Championship hasn't been happening through the summer or in that transition period so with fewer fewer you notice that fewer uh, WEC races through the middle portion of 18 it means that all the, from the north the we know how to do that <laughs> All the star names have got a bit of racing to find yes and they've gone to the ELMS but a lot of them are European you know based in Europe so might might not be able to find the opportunity to travel to the States every other week. Uh, and there's more competition in Europe as well, so it's more of an attraction, I think. Um, whilst we're talking about um, teams from Europe, uh, announcement coming in, uh, I think today, actually, of, uh, of drivers for Panis Bartes. We've got Will Stevens and René Binder on board. Uh, Will's driven with those guys. In fact, have they both driven with... Rene, to my knowledge, hasn't done. Rene no, Binder's been doing well, the, the has, hasn't he? yeah Enzo CLM stuff. Is Rene Binder, and um, and the, the kind of last uh, portion of the V8 series, the Formula V8 thingamajig that he did, he did a few races in that. But uh, so for, moving from single seaters now to P2. But Panis Bartas is a good team. I'm still not quite sure in the terms of the makeup of those two guys because Fabian Bartas doesn't come to the races anymore. I think they still get on Olivier Panis and Bartas, but. Although it's both of their names above the door, it's Olivier that's doing all the kind of heavy lifting there. Um, and Aurelien Panis has had the odd opportunity, I think, um, Olivier's son. But, yeah, Will Stevens has been the 
the platinum driver in that lineup all year, all for last year. Uh, so that's not a, a radical departure. I wonder if they're going to go to two drivers, though, which is what United Autosports have been doing. And there's news afoot there as well, well I understand. F- funny enough, you speak about that. United Autosports, the doyens of, uh, of European Le Mans series uh, in both P2 and P3. Uh, moving on and moving up with Phil Hansen and one of our favourite drivers, Philippe Albuquerque. Yeah, well, they, you say moving on, they're sticking with the LMS as well and doing the World Endurance Championship. So Philippe Albuquerque and Phil Hansen, they're barely going to have a spare weekend uh, for 2019. Oh, they're doing both. They're it's not just do both. the team that's doing both. Oh, no, no. It's the same driver pairing as well. As far as I can tell, because there's no clash. That's great. <laughs> we're busy at Silverstone. Just a bit. <laughs> Hello. Between two paddocks. Yeah, absolutely. Between two four-hour races in the same car. <laughs> well, will it be the same car? Well, the same chassis, I suppose. I bet it's not. Mm, probably not, actually. I, I don't think it will be. No, but I mean the same design, not the okay, actual, same not the actual same, same engine. No, no, no. Different yeah, but different, different uh, chassis numbers, but the same designer car. Um, I tell you, Phil Hansen, though, their, their, their strategy at United Autosports is to get Phil in for as long as possible in a four-hour race, and he regularly does nearly three hours, frankly, with Philly Albuquerque then just needs to bring it home. And they, I'm pretty sure they won the last two races of the season. One was that bonkers race at Spa, which mm. didn't get to the finish because it absolutely hammered down, and Eduardo Freitas just wanted to get beyond the two-hour mark to be able to award half points but they did it properly then in Portimao a month later uh, so yeah half points at Spa full uh, championship points to win the last race of the season and they finished in the championship fourth in the end because of that so Phil Hansen's come on a dream oh, I mean he, brilliant. he's only still only about what, 18 19 or something but because they've given him so much responsibility in that team and it's only two drivers that's really aided him I think in his development United Autosport have become pretty much a powerhouse team, haven't they, in that European Le Mans series? As, as I said, not just in the main championship, but they've been running LMP3 and, and, and championships yeah. winning LMP3 there yeah. as well. And, and, and that, I mean, let's not forget, that's, that's a business, isn't it, it, it for, for Zach Brown and um, for um, Richard Dean. Richard Dean God, yeah. for a, sorry, Rich. <laughs> Completely blank there for Richard Dean, who, who runs that. Proof if proof were needed, Johnny, that the, the European Championship sitting, you know, at a level below the FIA World Endurance Championship is is a place where people can go, they can enjoy the change they made a few years ago now to the slightly longer races. And so it's 24 hours of racing across six four-hour races in the year, plus an opportunity if you've done well the year before to go to Le Mans. It's a nice package very nice and it, it takes you to some very pretty circuits as well I think it's about the right amount of races for uh, people want, they want to dovetail some motor racing in with obviously a full time business which a lot of the drivers do in the lineup. but United Autosports uh, to turn to their success in LMP3 a tremendous uh, champions in 16 and 17 in fact it was only in 18 where we had champions away from the very same trading estate in Yorkshire because Janetta won it first of, of all, then United Autosports for two years, and well done to RLR Motorsports who broke that little rhythm. But um, I, yeah, United Autosports, what, they and will come back a, that's fighting. That's a Lancashire team, so there's a bit of needle there. Yes, it is. You're true. <laughs> They're across in Bolton, aren't they? Absolutely. Um, uh, yes, they are. Although the connections with the local university don't lo- no longer exist, I think. 
Um, you're right. You know, they, they provide a great opportunity. They've turned up with so many cars every meeting. I think it's five or six, and they're all neatly lined up in nearby garages. So um, they are a powerhouse. I think that was your phrase. Um, you can tell which area of the pit lane they're going to be locking down for the weekend. Uh, and it, it runs like clockwork. I mean, you walk in there, and you know there are mechanics on the diagonal all the time and you kind of think I need to get out of here because it's such a hotbed of activity but everyone has their job and they've got some very good um, engineers in that team as well uh, it's Midweek Motorsport, Series 14, Episode 1 that's Johnny Palmer, Nick Damon and John Hindorf alongside him uh, in the booth, Joe Bradley and uh, Bruce Jones are down in the pit lane, a couple of uh, tweets coming in, hello to Dominic, not Dominic Window, the other Dominic, Dom Claude Scar who has tweeted and he said I got very excited I thought I'd got a shout out of Midweek Motorsport then I realised it wasn't starting at midnight for me well you have now Dominic uh, and Shea Adam not sure how to feel about the decision in uh, Virgin Supercars Virgin Australian Supercars feels like Garth Tander deserved to go out on his own terms and get that farewell tour that so many of him at, before him have enjoyed and that his fans uh, would have liked to see him yeah don't disagree with that there's still the opportunity for Garth to come back for the Enduros, yeah. I think. And I think that's I, what I'm he, sure he probably reading will. between the lines of what he's written and what he's tweeted, that, that's what I see him doing. Yeah, but much it, like Craig Lowndes is going to do. It's not the same, though, is it? No, no, no. And not finding not. out the way he did. And uh, it's hello. a strange... I mean, <laughs> I was massively respectful of Richie Stanaway and Aston Martin, but he was nowhere last year. He made a lot of mistakes. Well, that Tickford team was a bit all over the place as well, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, maybe. And I, I, that's a change from Ford to Holden, isn't it, into, into 2019. So maybe a different manufacturer will be a better fit for him. I don't know. They're difficult cars to get your head around. And, Some very you know, good drivers have gone down there and not been able to get them to work for true. them. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a unique championship. Uh, and, no, very good. Uh, hi to Matt Hunter, tuned in for the first time in 2019 to hear the first show of 2019. Matt, part of the Toro Radio team who've done such great work down through the years, and their 2019 offering will be starting. I know they've got uh, a couple of new series uh, to run in terms of their race calendars as well. If you want more about that, then uh, go and look them up. T-O-R-A, the Online Racing Association. And James Fox has tweeted at Specutainment and at RC Racing, who's sitting just to my right, says, just finished listening to the F1 Review podcast. Insightful, entertaining and very interesting. Not so much from Hindoff, though. Uh, love, <laughs> love the format, race review, driver review and teams review. That was a bit new that we did that this I, year. And I thought that worked quite well, actually. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't but know, you I, did it from memory. I, that was, that was the most remarkable you. thing was, I, I, you know, but whether it was good and bad, I was just most surprised I could remember things about every single race, which worried me in many ways as well. It's, well, it's surprising how much goes in. It was New Year's Day, and I, I didn't tell Nick until literally we'd gone on the air with that. Killzone729 says, uh, hoping to be watch the entire Rolex 24 with a friend of mine. Will sound and vision be live-streamed entirely on Radio Le Mans? Yes, if you're outside the US. Uh, if you're outside the US, then yes, everybody gets all of the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship events uh, live you will, wherever you are, including the US, be able to watch all of the devel- development races again in 2019 live uh, and the qualifying for the IMSA WeatherTech series as well. Um, if you're in the States, it'll be NBCSN, Lee Diffie and uh, Calvin Fish leading uh, the team there and welcoming back some 
new and old, or welcoming some new and old faces as well. And delighted to see another one of our former pit reporters. We've got Jamie Howe back, and Kelly Stavist will be coming back yeah. too. Uh, sports Sport car racing as well. As well. <laughs> yeah. And then she forgot it and actually got on with doing the work. Yes, very good. Um, so keep those uh, keep those tweets coming in at Specutainment. Um, staying with the American news uh, before we get to half-time uh, tonight, I did notice that a couple of drivers, and I know Shay's listening, I did notice that a couple of drivers have been claimed by the WEC teams for Sebring alone and won't be doing double duty. Did you see that, Johnny? No. Um, I've, I've got a feeling uh, Philippe Albuquerque is one of them. So I don't think he's going to be released for the IMSA race. Mm, okay. So he'll be doing WEC only uh, for that, um, is, is what I believe. Anyway... You're, you're obviously close to the series. Is, is that going to be a one-off, or is it going to become a regular event, this Sebring event? Um, it's a single year for the moment in terms of contracts, but don't read anything into that. Um, there, was an, there were a number of people who said, uh, perhaps rather unkindly, that the only reason it was there was because without it, the FIA WEC would have been the FIA EC because it wouldn't have been allowed to be a world championship or it could have been a FIA World Cup because they didn't have enough continents. The, the FIA have glossed over that on many occasions previously. Well, well, if that was the case, it, uh, Brazil's back on the calendar mm. for 1920. But so as is Sebring. And that, that's been signed off now, hasn't it? It hasn't got official date yet. It hasn't got a date right. yet because... And I'll tell you why it hasn't got a date. And that was, that's a good point, and I'm pleased you led down that track because that's exactly where I was going to go, Johnny, so mind-reading as well. Um, the, the reason that it wasn't signed off, uh, that, that it hasn't got a date, is because IMSA haven't announced their dates for 20 yet yeah. because they're in a normal calendar year and they're deferring to the series whose event it actually is. Uh, we're back with more news in a moment, uh, almost to half-time, but before we have our still-to-come jingle, and I tell you what's happening in the second half, let's go down to birthday boy Ollie Jarvis, who's with Bruce Jones in the pit lane here at Dubai. We're just waiting for the number 35 for Nissan to go away. Ollie Jarvis, I gather it's your birthday. Congratulations. So let's have a quiz. What country are you in today? No, it's been a busy few weeks and uh, only going to get busier after here. But, um, you know, great to be here in Dubai, first time ever, and really cool track and an incredible race. Now, I gather you're in fantastic form at Daytona. Just took uh, the, the outright lap record there. Not a bad thing to put up, put up on the board at the Raw. No, you know, very nice to beat it. But, uh, you know, we've got to do it when it counts, which is in two weeks' time. So I think we, you know, we've obviously got a good package. Still a lot of work to do, but we can head into the race very optimistic. Obviously, you're going to be uh, clocking up the air miles, but how are you on jet lag? Because you've just come here from Daytona. You're here in Dubai. Where next? And I gather you're also going to Australia in your sort of mad start to 2019. Yeah, so after here, I'm actually going to head home for a few days. I think I've got a, a week at home with the family. Then straight out to Daytona. Uh, after the race in Daytona, fly to... I'm just trying to think now. Fly, fly to LAX, and then from LAX to Sydney. Sydney back to LAX, and uh, at some point, I'll find my way home. Now, it's a lot of car, a lot of planes, but it's a lot of cars too. I noticed when you were getting out of the KCM genus and you sort of having looked where to put your hands to pivot yourself out. How do you just adapt? I mean, obviously, that's just getting in and out and then driving the cars as well. 
the nice thing is they're so different. So you don't get mixed up with, with minor things. You know, it's two completely separate cars, different driving styles, different ways of, of operating them. So actually, it's not too bad. It's my third time in the Nissan. So I feel like, uh, you know, each time I get in it, I learn a little bit more. But, uh, you know, so far we've had a, a really productive day. I mean, it's incredible. I thought I was used to traffic, but, um, you know, already here with 54 cars, it's, it's already busy, and I hear for the race it's going to be 80-odd. So it's going to be a crazy race, but I, I can't wait to get out there and experience it firsthand. Brilliant. I'll leave you to go blow the candles out on your cake. Oliver Jarvis. Brilliant still. Folly Jarvis, happy birthday, mate. Yes, um, I think we're going to be at the same airport at roughly the same time over the next four or five weeks. Series 14, episode one. It's a new series of the, one of the longest-running motorsport magazine programmes anywhere in the world. And we're live, full live, from Dubai. It's good to be back and getting back in the groove here on RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited Network. Midweek Motorsport. Half time, and while we swap ends, here's what's coming up. It's a really big programme today as we're live from the Dubai Autodrome. Still to come, we'll be talking more IMSA news, uh, a bit more as well about Zach Brown. That's United Autosport and McLaren's Zach Brown. We'll be previewing the Hankook 24 hours of Dubai, and if you're listening, on our 8 o'clock play out in the UK at our normal time, we've got a big interview coming up with a world exclusive. Uh, if you're not you're listening live, well, listen in again. Can't have too much of this show, surely. At Specutainment, if you'd like to get in touch with us, the cars are out on track and I really feel the winter's over now as we're getting into the endurance season here on RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited Network. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. And to kick off the second hour here on Midweek Motorsport, a very special big interview. And we say hello to a man who's no stranger to these airwaves. Hello, David Brabham. Hey, John. How you doing? I am very well. I am very well, sir. Uh, and congratulations. It's already been a busy week for you. Early part of the week, I read that you're going to be doing a, a road conversion kit for the uh, BT62. Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, when we launched the BT62 in May, we had uh, quite a lot of interest in the car, but also uh, not just for the track, but also wanting to drive from from their house to the track. So obviously, we've been looking <laughs> at. <laughs> well, yeah. So you, we can understand that. Um, it's a beautiful car, and and people want to be able to drive it on the road as well. So we obviously looked at what that looked like, um, and we announced. Uh, uh, just the other day that uh, obviously we can do that that is that it'll be an option that people can have when they buy a bt62 that would have been quite a good thing for us to just talk to you about and talk about the the brabham name coming coming back and and, and to to fill out that story but we've got a bit of an yeah, exclusive how long have you got, go- John? <laughs> well 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 how long have you got that's the question yeah. but we've got a bit of an exclusive and thank you very much for breaking this news uh, and you guys are going to go back to racing and you're going to go back to racing at somewhere that's very dear to my heart. Go on, break the news, tell the audience here on Midweek Motorsport and this, dear listeners, is a world exclusive. Yeah, thank you, John. Uh, obviously, it's uh, great to, to be on the show and obviously your support uh, over the years and the fans has been incredible. So it's it's great to be uh, making an announcement uh, uh, now on your show. So obviously, when when we launched in in May, 
uh, we launched the BT62 in London and we gave the audience, the fans, uh, a bit of a vision that we wanted to get to Le Mans in the future. Well, Brabham Automotive is excited to announce that we've committed to a five-year sports car racing program with the ambitious target of racing a factory team to compete at the Le Mans 24-hour and the World Endurance Championship in 2021-22 season in the GTE category. So we whoa, made whoa, 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 hang <coughs> on. In, in GTE? That's correct. Well, that's going to shock a few people, David. And I, we I talked about it in that interview. Yeah, I think I think it will because obviously uh, when we launched and, and there's a lot of talk around, you know, the top category at Le Mans, a lot of people uh, sort of put us in, into that space. Uh, but you know, realistically, you know, when when you know the Brabham Automotive investors, the directors, the board sat down and looked at it, you know, at the end of the day, we've got to race uh, cars that uh, we're selling. And, uh, you know, we're not building hypercars at this stage, so it makes perfect sense for us to, to be entering the GTE category, getting Brabham back onto the world stage on the tracks. And there's no better place, really, than the World Endurance Championship and, you know, to go and race and win Le Mans. You've set yourself a, a very high target to start with. You're going up against brands like Porsche, like Ferrari, Aston Martin, Corvette, these guys have been doing this for a wee while, David, to be honest, and, and their GTE programs are, are well set. BMW in there as well. That's it, certainly a challenge, but clearly a challenge you, you're ready to accept and to take sort of head on. Uh, absolutely. I mean, if you look at our history uh, under the Brabham brand, you know, we've never been frightened of having a challenge and having a go. And this is what we've done with the BT62 going into the market as a manufacturer. And, you know, we obviously have to go racing because it's part of Brabham's DNA. We want to be racing the cars that we're selling, as we said. Um, yes, we've got very fantastic competition. They've been around for years. They're well established. Um, and they're, they're a great target, in a sense. And they're going to they're yes. bring us to a, a really good level as well. So I think it's great for the championship. It's great for us at, at Brabham Automotive to be able to commit to a program like this. Yes, it's ambitious. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but if you don't set a target and, and have something to aim for, you'll never get there. So, you know, that's, that's what we're going to do. There are, some, uh, there are some technical questions that I need to ask you because the, the listeners, having picked themselves up off the floor, now have <laughs> realised that... To be a GTE competitor at Le Mans, you have to have a street car. And, and just doing a road compliance clip, could presumably for your BT62, is that going to get you enough cars? And will you be recognised as a street car manufacturer? Or does that mean that what you're also seeing is there will be a street legal Brabham that may or may not be something like the BT62? How does, how's it going to work, David? Well, obviously, more about what the vehicle is that we'll be racing at Le Mans will come out in due course. But I'm not, I'm not going to spill the beans on, on what it is at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, obviously, we're a niche manufacturer and obviously low, low volume exemption, you know, is, is going to be our sort of target. And we're working with the, with the OCO with that. Uh, they're obviously very keen to see Brabham back on the racetracks, particularly at Le Mans, mm. where we have an amazing history with my father winning the, the only Grand Prix at, at Bugatti Circuit. 
and, and my brother Jeff and I have won the Le Mans 24 hours. So, you know, we it's very dear to our hearts. It's dear to your heart, obviously, John. Oh, yes. As you mentioned at the very beginning, I think that the fans would be excited to, to see Brabham on the track at Le Mans uh, in the future. And, you know, we're, we're, what we're doing here is we're giving people a heads up. We want to be transparent. We want to say, hey, this is our goal. This is what we're doing. We've got a hell of a lot of work to do to, to get to that point. We've been testing the Brabham BT62 uh, in Australia in preparation for some some racing in the future. So, you know, the ball is rolling, but we know we've got a, uh, an ambitious project a hell of, ahead of us. Um, and, you know, we're, we're taking people on a journey. This is an incredible, exciting time for the brand, the resurrection of it. Going back to the racetracks, um, you know, talking to, to partners who want to be on that journey with us. That it's you're seeing 21-22, which is effectively two full seasons away and, and and a half a year away because of the way that the WEC season will start to work from from this year. Now it starts at Silverstone uh, at the end of summer, end of August, beginning of of September. But in automotive terms, David, that's not a long time away for you to get that car, whatever it is, to get it out there, to get some road cars, to get out and test. Was the was did it always have to be then GTE or was the hypercar regulations that they're talking about in in 2020 2021 for more like a quote unquote prototype um, was that not something that was in, interesting to you why make it more difficult for yourself and go to GTE I suppose is the question that many people will ask well I think I think the difficulty is the other way around um, oh really maybe, well yeah because. You know, at the end of the day, like I said at the beginning, we, we need to be out there uh, racing the cars that we'll be selling. And, yeah. uh, you know, we are not Toyota. You know, to go up against the likes of Toyota and, and so forth in that category with the kind of resources and so forth, it just doesn't make any sense. You know, this is a step-by-step process. First, we've got to get Brabham Racing. GTE is the target. We feel that's achievable. Uh, we'll be working with the ACO to to achieve that as well, and you know, obviously, the long term goal is to win the top category. But you know, uh, we need to get we need to have the steps to get there. You also said that the, at the start of uh, of that, when you made that exclusive announcement right here on Midweek Motorsport, you said a works team. So that means setting up an organisation as well, David. So, I mean, you're not making this easy for yourself. It's, you know, you've got a, a, an automotive manufacturing facility and, and a car to build for road and for track. Plus, you've got to put a works team together together as well. What sort of time scales have you given yourself to get, to get this start, to get this running so that you'll be in position for 21-22? Well, to be fair, we, we've already started. I mean, the last few months we've started to do a lot more testing and developing around endurance racing and actually taking the BT62 to some Pacific sort of open championships in mm. 2019 and 20 uh-huh. um, to start developing the team and the personnel. And, you know, we have to earn the right to race at Le Mans. You know, we have to grow and we have to develop. Uh, we have to bring in expertise. We've already got expertise in the group, but we have to grow that. And, you know, like I said, it's a step-by-step process. So the first step would be to start racing a BT62 in a few selected championships, start building the team, and then in the background developing the new car to go to uh, Le Mans. 
again, I'm not asking you to, to, to break any confidences, but presumably the concept with, with what you've got with the BT 62, you're not going to reinvent the wheel here and decide to go for a, a front engine car, something completely different. Broadly speaking, I mean, that is a very good looking car. It's a, you and I talked about it at Le Mans and we've talked about it subsequently as well. Um, the, the concept of, of what we expect to see racing, it's not going to be a million miles away from the BC, BT 62, is it? No, it's going to be an evolution of the current architecture. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah and, good. And, and when, when, we, when we did this uh, project, you know, that was, that was always in the back of our minds. Uh, yes. So, when, you know, when we launched, we did say it had, you know, endurance in mind. It's got the architecture for it. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the, look, the look at the performance of the car uh, speaks for itself. Uh, you know, and uh, we'll, be carrying, we'll be carrying on those design cues and the architecture uh, into the future models. Uh, again, um, not asking you to break any confidences, but what, when you and I first talked about this, the car hadn't done a lot of running the BT62. It's now done considerably more. Are you happy that the original concept then um, has been proved? And is this announcement that you've just made in some ways proof of concept and you can go yeah we got our numbers right we've got the sums right the car not only looks and sounds great but it's going to be a, the basis for a competitive race car yeah i think the i think that's right you know the, the, yeah. the testing that we're doing um has validated the car very well uh in terms of uh performance and and obviously you know the main the main two areas is as you know you know if you don't have a decent engine that that's reliable mm-hmm. or, or a gearbox it, it really plays havoc on your testing program those two components have been bulletproof from the word go so that's allowed us Brilliant. to develop develop quicker in, in, a, in a kind of you know developing a car sense so yeah all the fundamentals are there like i said it's ambitious we know we, we've got a lot to do to, to get to race at le mans and, and like i said to earn the right to be there uh, but we're taking step by step logical common sense all the way and you i'm very pleased with the progress that we've made and i very much look forward to when we get the car out on track and and actually racing i've got two final questions for you thanks again for for breaking this news on midweek motorsport um you always said to me from when we started talking about this car, um, uh, when I met you down in London ahead of, its, ahead of its launch, that this had to be run on, on strictly sensible and sustainable business lines. Um, this fits into the business plan, and as far as your business partners and the finances and all that, that they're, they're happy with that, and you're happy, because that's a, that's a big commitment you're making several years down the line. There's a lot of big manufacturers can't do that nowadays, David, so you'll understand why, why that's an imp- important question. Yeah, I mean, we wouldn't be announcing this if, if we didn't think it was was possible. Uh, like I said, we know mm-hmm. it's ambitious. You've got to you've got to put a stake in the ground and, and aim for something. But you know, the investors behind the business, as I said, the directors, the board, have have sat down and, and looked at this and um, felt comfortable in a sense of, of where we want to head to. Um, like I said, it, it is a it is a proper business. And and when I you know, as you know, when I started Project Brabham. I wanted something, something to bring Brabham back to racing, but to have something around mm. it to support it, and not just have a race team. So, uh, yes. having having an automotive business that that actually needs to go racing and demonstrate Brabham back on the track—that's where its DNA is—is uh, is a is a mm. great thing for us going racing. 
And, um, you know, I mentioned Project Brabham, so I should say that obviously when we launched in, in May, we said that, that the Brabham Automotive Racing Activities will start to bring that to life. So, you know, as the business develops and grows, so will that side of it. So it's all my master plan that I had some time ago is all starting to come come together. Um, you know, sometimes when you put a stake in the ground, you're not sure which way the road goes, but you kind of end up there. And this is this is kind of uh, what's been happening the last few years. Right, final question for you, uh, because I know that uh, looking at the time when this is going out here, you are going to be besieged by uh, the press from Australia uh, that uh, will be getting up to this news uh, on what is Thursday morning uh, for most of for Australia. Uh, there's the mouth-watering prospect here, David, of a Brabham at Le Mans, but what about with a Brabham driving the Brabham? It's been a very, very long time since somebody went to Le Mans and drove a car with their own name on it. Uh, De Cadenier, Ligier, they've done it in the past. Is there a possibility that you or another racing Brabham, he says, just putting the feelers out there, could be part of this at the great race? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, obviously, that's a, that's a very good question. Um, you know, we, we want to make sure that uh, – and I'll be a good judge of who, who the best drivers are for the programme – and, and, you know, they've got to earn the right to be able to do that as well. And if that's if that's a Brabham, great. If it's not, well, you know, we, we've got a business to run. Um, and, you know, obviously with, with Sam and Matt uh, are probably obvious choices. But, you know, they also have to prove themselves to earn that right. And nobody harder to prove prove their talents with than you, David. I know you'll be a hard taskmaster. This is brilliant news, David. I couldn't be happier for you. I know... Uh, just how much hard work has gone in behind the scenes of this as well and we wish you all the best and thank you very much for coming on Midweek Motorsport to announce that Brabham is going back to Le Mans in the GTE category for season 21-22 so that will be starting in August of 2021 at the first WEC race. David, best of luck mate and thanks again. Uh, you're welcome thank you John, thanks for having us and thanks to all the fans out there who have been supportive as well This is RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited Network. So let's crack on now then and into uh, our other stories. Zach Brown, I promised you uh, in that uh, half-time roundup. Uh, Zach Brown, McLaren. Zach Brown, United Autosports. Johnny Palmer, by the way, is still with us, as is uh, Nick Damon. Uh, and the boys downstairs. We're, we're waving. Yes, we're, waving. we're waving on radio. Yeah, very good. Can you wave louder? Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. I wave to Nicky louder as well. Yeah. Oh, yes. Okay. Good luck to Nicky, as we were mentioning earlier on. Um, Zach Brown and Gilles de Ferran, with a couple of other gentlemen, are seen deep in conversation at the Raw. And I'm not reporting this secondhand because I saw it and then I asked other people to make sure I wasn't completely going bonkers. All kinds of rumours about IMSA at the moment, about new DPI teams coming in. A Japanese manufacturer, possibly Subaru, possibly Toyota or Lexus. Uh, we've got Ford still, will they, won't they, in the wings uh, as well. Um, maybe another couple of manufacturers as well. But what about McLaren, gentlemen? McLaren, who have been showing some interest in the new 2020 P1 regulations, the so-called hypercar regulations, to the point where they've put their GTE plans on hold 
for a second time. Uh, Convergence put them on hold the first time. Remember that? Yes, that didn't happen. Um, and the GT3 McLaren has been put on hold. I hear it from very... Excuse me, the GTE McLaren has been put on hold. Um, what do we think? Um, should they, like Ferrari, who's another uh, manufacturer who's consistently linked with a variety of sports car programmes in prototypes, whether it's the hypercar or other things, They've got to, surely, Nick, they've got to concentrate on what they're doing in Formula One. Um, well, the thing to remember is that McLaren cars, the, the pure automotive t uh, bunch, you bought with the P1 and the Senna most recently and the 720S and everything, and, and unlimited numbers of uh, specials, have just reported their end-of-year results with a 40% increase in sales. Wow. They've sold, I think, 4,700 units. Now, that's a lot that's of cars. That's uh, very profitable units, but it's still a drop in the ocean compared to the numbers that Mazda shift, the numbers that Cadillac shift, the numbers that uh, Acura shift. Where, what is the business model? What is the business model for McLaren to enter DPI? And I don't see one. I don't see where they can sell the cars. Now, can you sell a customer DPI and make money out of it? Yeah. I don't think you can and compete against um, uh, one of the major manufacturers, mostly because you're buying a lot of the parts even from whoever the core P2 uh, manufacturers and do they really want to you know uniquely manufacture uh, generate their engine they are McLaren effectively is when when they wrote down the hypercar regulations at the ACO I would think they were the first name on the sheet they were on there before Ferrari before Lamborghini because they were exactly the sweet spot yeah. McLaren yeah. yeah Kona's egg not enough cars Ferrari too political. Lamborghini, well, it's Audi again. No, so it's, it's, that's what they're looking for. So, I mean, I, I think DPI is a fantastic concept. Either way, either I just way, don't just, think it fits. I just, with, for who? For McLaren. Right. I like the way that you completely dismissed um, Ferrari with the wave of the too political. Ferrari would never enter because they can't make their own chassis. Well, they can't. No, they can't because it has to be an approved P2 chassis. To no, 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 not for hypercars. No, I think it's about DPR. Oh, DPR. oh hypercars, they, yeah. they'll definitely do something to at least to wave a sabre and, and upset F1. Absolutely. Right. Okay. I mean, be, it's not an expensive thing for them to do. They GT3 have hypercars. Engine. They've got a hypercar concept. They probably get their backsides handed to them by a couple of the smaller manufacturers. Uh, at Speculatement, if you want to get in touch, come to Johnny Palmer for, for some thoughts about that in a moment. But Joe Bradley is down in the pit lane at... Now, I've got to be careful here, Joe, because I only heard the number of the car. And I think that you are at what we must remember to call this weekend CP Racing. Absolutely. And it seems apt to talk to the current champions. Joe Foster is with me now. He's just stepped out of the number 85 Mercedes. Joe, I remember when you guys were awarded the championship... And I said, hey, you're going to be carrying the number one next year. And Nathan, the chief engineer on the wall, who arguably won the championship for you guys, um, he said, no, no way, you're keeping, we're keeping the 85. What? And, and you have. He's gotten his own way. What's the significance of the 85 then? I don't know. I think um, maybe he's just uh, superstitious. I'm not sure. Uh, but clearly, it has been a successful number for Charlie in other races as well. Um, so I think he just wanted to keep it. It wasn't honestly a whole lot of thought put into it, but I think he just wanted to keep it. I'm gonna, you know what? I'm going to have to ask him later on the weekend. And I wonder if he's got a different story, Joe. He's probably not shared it. It would be superstitious to. Um, driver lineup this weekend. It's the two Charlies, Charles Putnam and Charles Espenlaub, yourself, Joe Foster. But you've got Shane Lewis sharing the car with you. Now, Shane Lewis is a familiar name to me from our American racing. Tell us a little bit about the driver lineup. 
Right. Um, we've known Shane for a long time, and he's new to the series. As you know, Adam Crisodulo did a fantastic job for us last year, and we did end up winning uh, winning both championships. Uh, but honestly, I think you have to, to keep moving as the rules changes and the competitive level uh, of the series changes. And so Adam, as you can see, has absolutely ended on his feet driving the two Black Falcon car here this weekend. So we're very happy to see that, and he's still, still a very close, uh, close friend to us. As you saw, he was just here in the pit box. But uh, what we wanted to try to do was just uh, keep our program moving and try uh, a different niche in the rules. Because if you look at the d- couple of different opportunities uh, that Kravantic have given us in A6M as regards uh, driver combinations and related to fuel size or related to how much fuel you can get under a code 16, things like that. So we wanted to try uh, that different fuel, that different uh, rules niche and see how it worked. And obviously the, the biggest change this year for you guys is the name of the door. Uh, you were with Pro Sport last year. Now we are with CP Racing. I suspect, call me a detective, the CP is Charlie Putman Racing. Is it? Am I right on that one? Oh, absolutely. And honestly, we've had a lot of success with Pro Sport. And, uh, and uh, you know, they gave Charlie fantastic support both here and his other programs last year, like at the Nürburgring and other places. But as I'm sure you know, they got a fantastic opportunity with Aston Martin in uh, GT3, GT4, and, and several series simultaneously. And it's really, it's a huge logistical task for them, and it's also a huge opportunity for them. And uh, you know, honestly, they need to focus on that and make the best of it. As a business person in the, in the sport, I respect that, and we absolutely wish them the best of luck. So where have you guys gathered the personnel from then? The logistics of running a race team, you need guys to do pretty much everything. You guys are just the drivers. Right. Well, we've only had a month or so. Um, this all didn't really evolve until after Coda. And so we only have had a month or you know, a month and a half to kind of organize this. And so to be straight, we're still putting it together uh, to some degree. And so it's, it's a bit of a mismatch at the moment. But it's mostly guys we've known for a long time. And even within the pro sport umbrella, we had several guys that we'd known for a long time. And those guys stayed with Charlie. So uh, it's not as huge a change as it looks. Um, what about the logistics of where you guys are based? Because Pro Sport are a German team. Uh, it's predominantly once we leave Dubai, we're predominantly in racing in Europe before we go to quarter. So what, what's the idea behind that? Or, or, have there, or are your ideas about where you're going to do that from? Right. Well, it is a, an American entry now, as you can see. But um, logistically, it obviously makes sense still to base it uh, in Europe. And so it's actually we're just renting some shop space uh, near Nürburgring still. Kind of saying in my ear, if only you could move that Formula Ford out of your garage, Bradley, you'd have room to be able to run these guys. He's being silly, Joe. No, I'd be fine. I think Formula Fords are fun. <laughs> Vintage F4 is where it's at. I would have to get rid of it and fit you guys in there. No, I don't get rid of it by my workshop. No, I don't get rid of it. Formula Fords are awesome. And full program, you're going to go for that championship again, I'm no doubt, no you guys. Um, I think I believe that's what the program is. Yeah, obviously the schedule is slightly different uh, this year. Um, but that's Charlie's plan uh, to, to do the full Kravantic schedule and then also uh, go after Nürburgring again. What is it about the Kravantic series that keeps you guys coming back? Because you know there's a, there's a I'm not going to say how many years experience, but you guys have been around racing internationally for a long time, Joe, the four, you, the four drivers that have seen in this car. What brings Charlie Putman back? What brings Joe Foster back to this series? Oh, that's a very fair question. I think that uh, for, for Charlie, you got to it's a very complex equation of value and seat time and the financial uh, aspects of it and, and also just the kind of venues that you're at. And I think at, at this point in the game, he still feels very strongly that the Kavantic Series offers the best combination of value in terms of 
the, the types of cars he gets to drive, the types of people he gets to race against. Honestly, just how much he gets to drive. If you look at a given amount of time away from home, the series offers uh, a driver like Charlie just a fantastic amount of seat time, which is uh, he's craving seat time and learning. And will forever crave seat time. Joe, great to talk to you as ever. It's very early in the week. We're going to talk to you a lot more, I would think. Thanks for talking to us. Great, thank you. Joe Bradley down there in the pit lane for us. We're live from the Dubai Autodrome. That's one of the uh, that's one of the interesting stories, Johnny, coming out the paddock. Um, big field here for the weekend. Hugely talented driver lineup. We'll talk a little bit about the Hancock 24 Hours before we go on. Uh, but just before I finish with the what we were talking about before, McLaren, Ferrari, DPI, Hypercar. What's what's your what thought on on those two? very important brands for it would be a huge story for either IMSA or the WEC if either of those brands committed to either or indeed both of, of those formula yeah and I don't know enough about the hypercar regs to know whether it's possible to design a car that would fit into both probably not so that I mean that's massive expense I, I can't think that a team or a manufacturer would attack both at the same time but I do think that the hypercar regulations have gone down pretty well with some manufacturers and maybe some that weren't part of the initial uh, concept meetings. Agreed. There were six, I think, that were named within that, uh, that kind of decision process. And obviously, each manufacturer goes in with their own little tick chart of what they would like to see, and it's a compromise between those. It's not those. long, is it, before those cars have got to be out well, and no, running, though? No, because and we're talking about... Uh, 20, the, the August 2020, basically. Yeah, so a year from, from this September. Which means, really, the cars have got to be running... They've got to be on the... Well past the, the design phase mm -hmm. within a few months, haven't they? Yeah. And you've got to be testing and proving concepts. Yeah, and, and I think the feeling for Zach Brown at McLaren is pretty positive as far as the regulations are concerned. Agreed. But he's gone on record and said, said we're never going to be ready by September 2020. What might be possible is towards the end of that season, for the leading up year. to Le Mans. But he's also said, gone on record and said, we don't want to debut the car at Le Mans because that's a massive challenge. And obviously, if it goes wrong, well, quite a big audience well, well, watching. Well, as and well. also, you've got to be invited to Le Mans. And if you yeah, haven't been in point. the championship, you might, you're probably that's not going to get. You'd true. be fairly cheesed off if you were an, a team that had supported the championship or supported the ELMS, and you didn't get your I, Le Mans entry. Yeah, but I don't think they'll be turning any hypercar no, entries away. I, it's going to be a, a strange old year, 2020 to 21, because, like Nick says, the slots are going to need to be sold quite quickly, and they may have to decide that there can't be full-year entries as well because the cars just won't be ready and it might be a turn of the year 2021 before we see some of them. But that would mean they weren't eligible for points and things like that. The, uh, and, yeah, and don't forget the Le Mans entry is coming out in two parts this year um, for reasons that I still don't fully understand. Uh, McLaren, though, have already committed to a limited IndyCar programme in 2019 yeah, and a full IndyCar programme in 2020. But that's an off-the-shelf car, isn't it? That's just that's just team personnel to run the team. That's not taking any engineering uh, prowess, or by, by that I mean actual nuts and bolts engineering and design prowess. It takes money, but I mean I'm sure they're thinking they can. Actually, the, they, they, they can have no shortage of sponsors in in IndyCar. 
So that, that might need to race for IndyCar with Alonso and probably somebody else quite well known running it. They'll, 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 I'm sure they can break even on sponsorship with those two drivers. Kobayashi for the second car in 2020? I don't know. It'd be interesting getting another Japanese driver because Taku's done pretty well, but he's getting quite long in the tooth now. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think you know, that, that's, a, that's a, an extra distraction for a part of McLaren, but, you know, they are a big organisation. They just need some engineers who are, are going to run in the States. That's about your team, and if you want to get in touch, don't forget if you're listening to this show that started at 8 o'clock UK time, 3 o'clock on the East Coast, uh, then you've heard our world exclusive, and it was a cracker. Uh, and if you didn't, then download the podcast, and you will. I don't, thank know, you. I don't know what to say now, because I don't know what the exclusive is, because in, in this time zone, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> I am so, oh, so much I could say so, there. So do I now have to re-record myself for the second part of the thing where I go, oh, yeah, it's great exclusive. So right, you can choose which one you want there. Yeah, just edit it yeah. out of the way, just on or off. Yeah, yeah. okay. Uh, be very careful. Brimming with exclusivity. <laughs> yes. Blimmin' embargoes. Exclusivity. Blimmin embargoes. Our ex- exclusivity cup runneth over. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the twenty, the Hancock 24 hours yes. of Dubai because that's what we're here for. Um, first big story... Joe's covered that for us. Uh, Pro Sport no longer running the team's champions, the 85 car, Charlie Putman, uh, Charles Espenlab and Joe Foster, mm. uh, along with I Shane th- Lewis, brought in there. Yeah, I think that's the biggest team, but I think the, the biggest... Well, no, let's go to that first, and then we can... We yeah, can... I mean, I think it's... it's, it's oh, and, we ex- heard, and we heard the reason. Ex- the key ex- thing ex- was, we don't have to speculate, no. because Pro Sport, Pro Sport are, are going gone. off to do other things. And very adult, really, wasn't it? It sounds like it's been all been done with a shake of the hands and thanks very much, lads, for all you've done for us both ways, Johnny. And and you know, bridges have not been burned, doors have not been slammed in face, no. which is actually really nice to hear. It's refreshing, isn't yeah. it? And the thing is, Pro Sport have taken that team of drivers and crew. Well, not necessarily crew. It would be interesting to know whether there's any cross flow of of staff as well, but. Certainly the driving lineup wouldn't be anywhere close to what it is as a unit without Pro Sport. So they've sort of lifted them up to a platform to now, you know, allow them to stretch their legs and go out on their own. You know, it's like uh, being a parent of a small child, yes, isn't run it? free! And yes. <laughs> it's now, up you're so now responsible again. for everything. Speaking, as any oh, good luck. Here, speaking of any person here who's been a parent of a small child, you're mm. just desperate to go to sleep now. You want to run free. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. I've got to look after you lot. It's not the yeah, same, so trust me. Trust me, it's not the no, same. No, it's much harder looking after you lot. I know your kids, they're actually quite sensible. <laughs> but a penny, for, for, on them. a penny for Charles Putman's thoughts this weekend, because I would imagine it's a, ma- a huge mixture of excitement, but massive nerves as well. Got thinking. his initials, at least, not, if not his name, over the door for yeah. the first time. And, and that, that's a step, that, that, that's a big step for somebody who's only had to worry about the driving in yes. the past. Absolutely. Uh, and... Some people say you shouldn't, you know, necessarily mix team management with, with the driving uh, he may not, responsibility, of and it might not be that, that. Yeah, he might do the day-to-day running of the team when they're yeah. not at the track, and redeploy that that task to, to other people, which would be a sensible move if that's if that's what he does. But he's got, as I say, good team around him. Not going to have Adam Christodoulou as it says on my entry list here, because no. he's got the opportunity late in the day to go and race with Black Falcon. His whole friends there, and I picked him up at the airport this morning along with Joe Bradley. George saw. Have picked him up as a waif and stray at the airport, and uh, so I, we gave him breakfast and, and brought him in. That was such a late deal that Adam booked his flight as he was driving down to Heathrow. Wow! 
yesterday. It doesn't strike me as the most economical way of doing it, but never mind. Actually, he told me what he paid, and I was shocked, actually, that he managed to get on the flight at all, but secondly, that he hadn't had to pay top, top dollar for it. OK, uh, and, and good. That, that is, that's interesting that he's not there, and that's why Shane Lewis is there as well, of course. But also, what that does, he goes to Black Falcon, which is... They're never bereft of good drivers, but what you've put into there is not only a good driver in his own right, but there's a driver who is a thinking, uh, a thinking member of the team, who's great on setup, and who knows that Mercedes AMG car absolutely inside out, Johnny. Yes, he does. And uh, Black Falcon with huge success here. What I'm also interested to know is whether well, the, Adams actually won this race before, but I don't think he has. Uh, no. Not that I can find. Really? It was Black Falcon 12 months ago. Um, Abdulaziz Al-Faisal, Yelmo Berman, Hubert Haupt and Gabriele Piano with the drive, driving line-up in 2018. Christodoulou has been second and third. There we uh, are. For sure. Second twice indeed. Uh, Bruce Jones, listening to our conversation, has hustled on down to one of his teammates, Yelma Berman, with him in, now down in the pit lane. Uh, Yelma, we've just been talking about Adam Christodoulou doing a very, very late deal to come and uh, race for Black Falcon. Is he in the green number two Mercedes with you? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. So what's the driver lineup then? Yelma Berman, Adam Christodoulou. Hubert Haupt, Abdulaziz of Isol, and his uh, brother Saud of Isol. So. Oh, so all five of you? So all five of us, exactly. And uh, it's also a bit, you know, obviously as a pro you can run up to 12 hours. And they didn't want to let me run 12 hours, so uh, this is how we do it. <laughs> uh, the feeling you're getting a bit older, Yelma, you see. But victory last year, but you look across the last three years, it was Mercedes victory last year, Porsche 2017, Audi 2016. Is it going to be another Mercedes year? Tw Mercedes 2015. Yeah. We won that one as well. <laughs> yeah, you look back over the record of Black Falcon here in the Dubai 24 hours, it's uh, immensely strong. But uh, look, so there are quite a few challengers this year. And the KCMG Nissans look pretty quick. Well, obviously, the, the grid is very strong again. Uh, it's a tough race. Usually, there are something like 100 cars here, which uh, for sure doesn't make it any easier. This year, there are, you know, there are a few cars less. So from that point of view, I guess it will be a bit easier on track, a bit less traffic. And um, obviously, the traffic, uh, they play a big role, plays a big role here in this race. So, I mean, um, like always, you, uh, you just have to uh, keep your nose clean, keep it on track, try and not to damage it at all and uh, see how far you can get. Obviously, um, it's easy to lose time in the pits with slow pit stops and, uh, you know, bad luck with, uh, with uh, refueling or, uh, you know, bad, bad calls on code 60. It all plays a big, big game and um, a big role in the game. And I think, um, you know, if you uh, keep it all under control and you do these things right, then uh, you can get very far. Well, it all looks very calm in the Black Falcon garage. Best of luck for the course this weekend. Thanks, Yelma. I just said best of luck for the weekend. Thank you very much. OK. Yes, that was Yelma Bowman. Thank you very much, Yelma. So following up on that story, so the two, two of the biggest stories then already covered here on Midweek Motorsport as we're live from uh, the Dubai Auto... Um, if Black Folk and Johnny do win this weekend, they would equal Porsche's win record here, uh, which is an extraordinary thing to do since uh, Mercedes have been coming here, and I think they debuted in 2011, 
at least one AMG has finished in the overall top three at every single Hankook 24 hours of Dubai. And in eight of those, uh, the Mercedes-Benz AMG has won. That's... That, mm. That's... Sorry. Eight of... In eight of the race... Out of the eight races that they've been here, they've won half of them. Four. So, I mean, that's an extraordinary hit rate here. And are we still waiting, are we not, for a non-German manufacturer to win this race? Uh, yes, that's correct. They've um, all won it. They BMW, have all... Audi, Porsche yeah. and uh, Mercedes. Yeah, BMWs in the very early days, in the first year when it was more of a touring Toto Wolf. Peter, Hans-Joachim Stuck and Dieter Cuesta. But to my knowledge, it was a, t- it was a touring car-style race in 2006. I know we had GT3, the 996 Porsches were second and third that, okay. that weekend. Uh, Hubert Berg mm, Motorsport and AC Bratislava. Um, but I've, I've got to say, without any um, disrespect to the guys there, um, uh, Mauro Casadei and Miro Konopka were in the third-place car. Adita Cuesta, Hans Stuck, Philip Peter and Toto Wolf. That was a pretty strong team. Um, and in fact, Dieter Cuesta uh, and Philip Peter were part of the winning team the following year with uh, Dirk Werner and Jimmy Campbell-Walter. That was 2007. Again with Porsche second and third. Conrad Lechner Motorsport and Pro Speed. Just who we were talking about uh, there. Uh, the first Porsche win was the Kiwis with Jonathan Webb, the Austrian. Um, Tony Quinn, Clark Quinn... And uh, Craig Baird. Uh, no, jo- Jonathan Webb here is down as Austrian. That's probably not right. So that was John O'Webb. John O'Webb, yeah. Right, so the Antipodean car. Um, let's go down to Joe Brady. We'll, we'll, f- we'll flash that out in a moment uh, of the, the German manufacturer domination. Geis Bessem is with... Uh, with Joe Bradley down in the pit lane. It wouldn't be a 24-inch series race without Gies Bessem and Harry Hilders. Gies, you're here once again with Baz Kooten, but completely different now. You guys are in a Porsche. You're in the number 991, which is an app number for a Porsche. Is this the first time you guys have raced this car? Yes, first time. Uh, it's brand new out of the box. Uh, and uh, we, we decided that uh, Dubai is a track which uh, has more speed in it. So Porsche is more uh, better fit out for this track than uh, the TCR uh, sale. But we will compete with the, with the TCR as well. But on this track, we do the Porsche. All right. So for the rest of the season, we may see you back in your TCR Seat. Uh, but for this race, it's, is this a one-off for the Porsche? No, it's not one-off. It's not one-off. Uh, maybe uh, we do Spa-Francorchamps with the Porsche. Uh, we do Bruno with the Seat. Barcelona, of course, with the Seat. Because then the competition is fierce. And uh, uh, what else have we got? Uh, Portimao we'll probably do with the Porsche. And the other ones we haven't figured it out yet. Mugello is probably with the Porsche as well. So you guys, surely that will compromise any kind of championship effort if you are thinking about a championship. Will that not compromise a championship? Well, on the TCR, uh, somehow in the end, uh, Rick always wins. <laughs> So we've given, given up that uh, competition, and uh, we've seen in the uh, Porsche that if you're if a good driver with a TCR, uh, especially a Seat or an Audi, in the end, after the 24 hours, for example, in Kota, we were in the same lap as the 991s. And then we said, well, if that is the case, let's, heck, let's give it a go to see how it works out with us, uh, with, we, who are used to a front axle uh, drive uh, a powered car, 
uh, to go to a rear axle powered car, a Porsche. See how we do. We're just uh, a bit, well, we're anxious to know, uh, do we have the capacity in our bodies to do this? So it's a, it's a, it's a big adventure. Guys, you were telling me a little story about uh, a little kind of ritual that you have here at the Dubai 24 Hours. And I'd like you to tell John, because I'm sure it was his words that you quoted to me earlier. Tell us, you're not in the car at the start because you prefer to be where? Yeah, I prefer to be on the grandstand, because uh, if I come back to Amsterdam, and people ask, well, what's so special about the 24 Hours of Dubai? First, it's the first race of the, end of the, of the year. And then there's the warm-up lap uh, behind the pace car, and then it's the formation lap. And everybody sits in the grandstand, and then over the loudspeakers you hear, you see the pace car moving out. The cars roll at 60 kilometers an hour to the start line. And then uh, over the speakers you hear, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 13th or 14th edition of the 24 Hours of Dubai. In a few seconds, they are about to unleash something in the region of 65,000 horsepower. And then I get goosebumps, everybody starts standing, the helicopter is in, and then all registers open. I mean, the noise, the power, I mean, then, I, then you are alive, uh, you, you smell the petrol, you feel the emotions. And in, those, in that line, which comes over the loudspeaker, that says it all. There's, in a few seconds, they are about to unleash something in the region of 65,000 horsepower. I mean, any little boy, even if you're 55, I mean, comes alive and, uh, and wants to participate in this. I mean, we have, uh, what, we have 500 horsepowers. So there's another 64,500 64 horsepowers around us. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's magic. You've got all our guys laughing in the booth. And I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to have to have you tell that story on TV. Maybe in the small hours of the race. Because I wish you guys could, I wish this was TV right now. And everyone could see your passion. Yeah. That is really so distinctive. Now, it is. This racing, 24-hour racing, is about passion. I mean, if, if, you, if you tell somebody, uh, I'm going to participate in 24 hours. Okay, what do you do? Okay, we start on the line, and 24 hours, we're still on the same track, on the same spot where we are. But during those 24 hours, so much happens. I mean, the, 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 the light changes because it becomes night. The track changes. Uh, there's emotion uh, in the pit lane. Uh, car uh, have uh, failures, technical it's all it's, It all comes together. And, and the, the, the na most nasty moment of the race is when it's finished. I mean, it's like a, a souffle. Where, where you take it out of the oven and then it, whoa, it crumbles down. That's like at the end of a 24-hour race. I mean, we can, uh, uh, we can uh, 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 sprinkle everybody under the champagne. That's nice. But it's the passion, the, the build-up to the start, uh, the night, coming out of the night, and then driving to the finish, changing your tactics because you are... All of a sudden, finding out after 20 hours, you are competing for uh, a podium. So that changes tactics. And then everybody starts looking at the competitors. What are they doing? What's happening with the brakes? It all comes together. And that's, 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 it's all about emotion. Well, we've got a lot more emotion to get through, guys. Thanks for talking to us. Great story. Let's head up towards Pit Out, where uh, Bruce Jones is at Dragon Racing. Right at the end of uh, Radio Mike Signal. Rob Bath knows this circuit very well. Almost brought up here, Rob. Oh, well, I came down to find you because uh, Dragon Racing playing in GT4 for this year's 24 Hours of uh, Dubai. 13, 14 cars coming out to play. It really is a burgeoning class. Yeah, and you've got to look at who's driving the cars as well. You know, there's Nico Vidonk, there's Frank Bird, there's and, 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 and. And uh, 
yeah, it's going to be a competitive class. The BMW is a known quantity. The AMG, which is the car we're running, is a new car to us, but is a, a known quantity. Um, it's, it is. It's burgeoning, as you say, Bruce. That's the correct adjective, and it's great to be part of it. But it's not just about the number of cars growing. It's the number of drivers. As the 488 Mercedes comes in uh, to a halt behind us, it's, it's a category that a lot of drivers can really cut their teeth in, isn't it? And then maybe step up later. Yeah, we're looking, our, our, the engine map that we have is genuinely 400 horsepower. And when you put 400 horsepower, it sounds an awful lot. But when you put 400 horsepower in a relatively heavy car, it's a, it's a lovely car for a gent to drive. And with the AMG, the AMG GT3 is known as a car that's very gent friendly. The Audi R8 being wheel passes at the moment is known to be incredibly fast in the hands of a pro. But, you know, not many people are blessed with the skills of Marcus Winkelhock. And for an AM to get that maxim out of a GT3 can often be quite difficult. So the GT4 is a bit more well-mannered. Um, it's a little heavier. It's a little slower. It's still, it's still quick, but everything happens at a much more manageable rate. And we're, we're running a relatively strong driver lineup in the Dragon 488 car. We've got Josh Webster in the car. Uh, for the first time. It's the first time he's driven a car with ABS, so he's getting up to speed now. Greg Caton, who's normally in historics, is uh, also new into the team. So, um, yeah, I say I keep saying looking forward to it, but, you know, I'm a bit of a one-trick pony. Uh, far from it, Rob. Look, enjoy the weekend, and it's great to have a competitive class. I've got TCR cars in the next garage, about 13 of those. So it just changes all around, but leave you to go and have a debrief. Thanks, Rob. Rob Barth from Dragons, uh, Dragon Racing, based here at this circuit. Uh, we'll talk about the entry in the Hankook 24 Hours of Dubai in just a few moments. Remind you, you're listening to the first uh, episode of Season 14 of Midweek Motorsport, and we are live from Dubai in our booth, pretty much all set up with uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, <laughs> 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 screens that I can see so far. Oh, 12, I missed one. Um, and, and the phone at the moment, at Specutainment. Hello, Sarah Rigby, got in a little bit late. Uh, she's listening now and cast up with the first hour that you've missed tonight. Don't forget to listen uh, after the first hour as well this evening because that's when you'll hear our Super World exclusive news and you will be very excited about that, Sarah. Uh, I know you will. Um, Drivers who are doing have come straight from Daytona 24. Lucas Stoltz, Jerome Blakemore, and Ben Keating, Chris Meese, Threes Vantour, uh, Young Winklehock, Fella, Oli Jarvis, Bortolotti, Christian Engelhart, Rolf Nation, Christopher Harzer, oh my goodness, uh, Vavish, uh, one of the Renards, Alfred Renard was there, wasn't he? Klaus Bachler and. Like Robert, surely. No, it was Alfred. It, it was really? Alfred, yeah. Oh, and and sorry. Kelvin von der Linde, um, all doing double duty. And uh, that was a bit of a rush for everybody. I know I did the trip as well. But we do, Johnny, have the opportunity for some uh, triple winners, drivers that might win three times, which has not been done so far at this event. You've probably uh, got a list of them, haven't you? I have. Um, yeah, OK. I'll hand, you t- hand over to you. Do you not you know for- who they are? I don't know what they- who they are, no. Well, well the-, the drivers who have won twice are Philip Peter Dieter Cuesta, who I mentioned from the early years. Yes. Jerome Blake and Morlan, Khaled El Cabezi, and the late Sean Edwards. Now, uh, that, was, that was up until last year. They were joined as double winners by Abdulaziz Al Faisal, uh, Yelma Berman and Hubert Haupt. And they were first one in 2015, as, uh, as Yelma reminded Bruce. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
Obviously, Norshawn Edwards, we miss him daily at every race track. Uh, Philip Peter and Dieter Quest are not here, but all of the others are here. So could be the first triple winners. Yes. Aren't they all That's in exciting. Black Falcons? They're all in Black Falcons. So mm. somebody at Black Falcons is going to be celebrating. If they win. If they win. Mm. <laughs> but as Nick has pointed out, um, we have had all, all four of the major German manufacturers win this race at some point. <laughs> Uh, during the history of it, but Porsche with five wins, Mercedes-Benz with four, BMW with three, Audi still just that solitary yes. victory in That's a bit shocking, isn't it? And look at the state of the number of 2019 Audi R8s that have turned up this year. Uh, there are four in pro. And Evos. Of the, the Evos. Evos. Well, yeah. uh, I can't say the word Evo next to it. Mm. So They are. I bet they are because it was such a, it was such a good value Evo kit. Right. It was in the so tens of So it's a 2018 car with a few bits stuck onto it. Is that it could be a 2017 car. It's the, yeah, it's a 17 car. It okay. could be, yeah. It could, could be either, but it's just an Evo kit. It's the, the car the, that they debuted... They homologated it for three years. The car that debuted it on the, for one of the VLN races last year was supposedly the 2019 spec Audi, but that's not a, a, a rebuilt or a rather a new-built car from the ground up there. It was an E4, and that was okay. running an SPX, if you remember, because it hadn't been properly homologated. Pro- properly homologated. Yeah. And they were using that as a test. Um, I'm told by the guys at Audi, um, Customer Racing, that's the none other than Chris Renke, uh, in fact, the man at the head of that organisation, that uh, it, it was something ridiculously cheap. Uh, in terms, sorry, ridiculously good value in terms yes. of motor racing terms, um, tens of thousands of of euros, um, which was an aero change, some bits and pieces um, on uh, um, longevity and serviceability, particularly of yes, gearboxes. Gearbox, yeah, gearboxes yeah. almost doubled its its racing life uh, to get the operating costs down. So that'll be interesting to see how that goes on. What? All of those drivers in the GT3s, and I mean, we, there's more than 20 GT3 cars here, so it's a strong GT3 entry. Again, GT4 burgeoning. I like that. We'll be mm-hmm. using that several. Uh, to well, me, we're that I, I, I have seen a number of people saying that um, it, maybe it's time for the GT cars, the GT3 cars, not to be part of this event. I think that would be a shame. Mm. But I understand why people are seeing that with the increase in popularity. Of GT4, but Nick, this year we've we've got fewer cars on the grid, and that's not necessarily a bad thing here. No, normally at this point in the weekend, we're hovering around the 96 to 98 cars in an entry. They'd all make the start, and, and we are now hovering around 76 to 78, so we've got 20 less cars. Fewer. Uh, thank you. 20 fewer cars. Still fewer. It's, I'm still southern. Um, still 20. And uh, you're still wrong. Oh, well, there we are. <laughs> And, and next week on Grammar by Racing. Um, no, seriously, the, 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 with 20 fewer um, bodies on the track, it's going to make for a, a more... Uh, there is going to be at least be some real estate for the cars to go. But more, impo- but more importantly, and disappointingly at the same time, it is in, almost entirely the slower cars we've got. We now have no longer have any diesel cars. We have no mm-hmm. A2 cars in here. Now, that's disappointing for us who love the variety of endurance racing. But, but, of course, those are the slowest cars. And the cars which are most likely to get, you know, buzzed by much faster GT3 cars who would have a huge closing speed on them. So I think the extra space, the 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 increasing speed of the slowest cars uh, is a positive thing for a cleaner running race and perhaps a race which, is, which isn't influenced much, as much by traffic and, and, and then for the, the best car does win. Um, 
And it's far from a 50-50 split, by the no, way, no. between GT Series and TCE Series. In fact, it's over two-thirds GT Series cars because, remember, GT4, and I've just counted 14 GT4 cars on my entry list, but that's a little bit of a movable feast at this stage. We, I think we're going to get something more concrete by tonight. Well, in the practice today, 61 cars took part in that very noisy thing underneath us, yeah. of which 52 were GT cars and just nine were TCE. Yeah. I mean, it, well, it doesn't I, mean that... that, 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 that no, the TCE cars, I'm sure there's a lot more of those didn't bother coming out for the extra expense. But, you know, you're looking at a two-to-one split at the minimum if every car that didn't come out was a TCE if, car. If you go by the programme, which admittedly was printed a little while ago, yes. it's 57 GTs and only 21 TCEs, therefore. Matt Hunter from Taurus says, I love the grid sizes the 24-hour series gets. High-level driver in, uh, uh, lineups, amazing cars, brilliant circuits. What a place to start the season. I really should book a flight one year. Yes, you should. On the way down, apparently, it's quite cheap. Yeah, <laughs> on the way to the airline. Uh, Paul Morgan says, uh, getting some iRacing laps around the Glen Inn. Uh, Paul Morgan uh, listening to us for the first time. Should mention the Tora are starting their season soon as well with uh, a classic Daytona, amongst other things, uh, on, on that as well. And uh, coming towards the end of the show, saw some final thoughts uh, from you two gentlemen. First of all, let's let's have a, a quick sentence each from the guys in the pits uh, before we wrap up Midweek Motorsport from Dubai with uh, a reminder that we'll be back live, of course, Thursday, Friday and Saturday. Bruce Jones, has your appetite been wet already wandering up and down? What is becoming a, a bit late already in the glathering gloom here uh, in, well, before six o'clock in the evening? Has my appetite been wet? I've already got my napkin tucked into the top of my Excellent. shirt. I'm getting ready for the welcome. <laughs> Do need my pass to get in. But yes, it suddenly, it was actually quite a hot day. We were talking to the Mootrans who said this is way hotter than you expect at this time of the year. And one of them lives within sight of the circuit, so he knows of what he talks. Mm. Um, but it was rather nice when the sun just started to go down behind the buildings. And uh, certainly come the race, Joe Bradley and I and Nick when he's down here on the beat as well. We prefer it slightly cooler than full hot. We're only thinking of ourselves. <laughs> so hot, Joe, that uh, so hot here in the, the heat of the summer that uh, the Ferrari Formula One car fell off uh, Motor World's wall on the way in. I noticed uh, that today. Uh, your thoughts? Are the stories behind the garage de- doors developing? Yes, they are. There's so much to talk about. And there was a lot of this afternoon. Um, I was quite interested in what you guys were talking about in other forms of racing. And I think we'll keep a lot of the stories that are developing. There's a lot of changes here. Um, we, we, we kind of mentioned a couple. Uh, there are phases here that are new to the series. Um, we, you know, there's going to be a lot to talk about, a lot to talk about across the rest of the week. Uh, check the schedule at the bottom of uh, RadioLemon.com for RS1. Uh, and then from uh, later on tomorrow afternoon, it's all in sound and vision as well. Nick? You ready for this? This this is the opening to your racing season. Oh, absolutely, yeah, I can't, can't wait to get down there. It's uh, it's nice to be able to see it from up here, especially when it, it, it was quite toasty. But now it's cooled down again. I should have been certainly going for a little bit of a meander prior to the welcome uh, uh, banquet, which is called an hour later, conveniently this year. Yeah, you have been programming your spreadsheets, Johnny, and, and it, the Nurburgring is the absolute pinnacle of having to reset your brain and grid sizes and on the track the track here normal size but the grid size as you're 
punching everything in, that's an absolute graphic representation of what we're going to be dealing with for the next three or four days. Yeah, but it's a, it's a really nice number of cars, I think. We've pushed for more in the past. We started this race with 100 cars, I think, in the just past. Just short, actually. Just shy of, yeah. but it was 100 on the entry list. That, for me, was, 98 that, year. that was always going to end in a little bit of carnage because it, I felt it was too many that the track could cope with. But you whittle it down to three quarters of that, which is around about the number we have this, for this year. And I think it could be a... a, a, a Fabulous race, but also a very pure race because of the Code 60 system, which is utilised by the championship, which means theoretically if we don't get safety cars, then you're not, you're not going to get gaps bunched up and and worthy winners by the end of it as well. But um, there's a lot of strong teams here. Mm-hmm. I still think Audi are pretty strong this year and they're due a win, let's face it. But Black Falcon are out there to stop Ooh, them. Due, due. You see, when you start using words like that, you start thinking, oh, does the things level, level out in sport? I'm not sure... I'm not sure they do. I tell you what, though, we'll know by midway through Saturday afternoon and you can keep up with it all here. Thanks very much to Curry Cobb back in London, to Joe Bruce, Johnny and um, Paul you haven't heard from, but Paul Trustwell's here, I promise you. Uh, Nick Damon, the responsible adult who is omnipotent, obviously. I'm John (laughs) Hindoff. That's the first one of the season, Series 14, Episode 1, and a very special thank you to our special guest with that world-exclusive... Stunning. Outstanding. <laughs> At the start of the second hour of the show, but only if you've been listening to the eight o'clock or you're on the oh podcast afterwards. If you don't know what I'm listening, uh, talking about, you need just to listening again. But it's proof again, once again, that when motorsport talks, it talks to Midweek Motorsport. See you over the weekend, live from Dubai. Bye-bye. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.